for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, Marty and Tony review Beta Colony and Raccoon Tycoon. They also interview Sarah from Renegade Games. And later, a five-minute initiative from a surprise guest. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 164, Star Trek and... I'm Tony. And this is Marty. And we are ready to talk about games. We're not pitching anything tonight. We're talking games, baby. That's right. We're all about the game. What did we pitch last time? Okay, we didn't pitch anything, but Stephen Bonacore. I don't know if he really pitched anything. He talked about his catalog, but we had a great discussion with Stephen. Uh, Yes, we did. And that was really interesting to hear a publisher's perspective of how just downright tough this market is nowadays. My prediction for, you know, three, we didn't do predictions this year. Did you notice that? It's a good thing because for the past two or three years that we've done them, we've always been wrong. So that's why we just stopped. It's like, we just look like fools more so than what we normally do. Mm -hmm. So just no more predictions. But, you know, Stephen keeps talking about this. My prediction, my doomsayer prediction of a bubble bursting, you know, he just keeps feeding the fire. A little more fuel. If a bubble bursts, what does that mean to you? What what do you picture that meaning? What that means to me from a, a game standpoint would be the um, fact that maybe some of these designers, artists who have started to really get into the system, who are being called upon, suddenly their work begins to dry up. Well, I mean, they can make their own games. It's not like they're waiting on the sidelines. People just make games all the time. I guess it's whether people decide to publish them. I'm not arguing that. What I am saying is that the the amount of work being asked of them would decrease. Well, again, a lot of these people are just kind of freelancing and doing it on their own. Nobody's asking them to do anything. What? You don't think people are being asked to draw stuff? I guess I'm just thinking from a designer perspective. I mean, designers are always designing games and they're pitching games hoping they get picked up. I mean, I could see more or less, hey, last year I had five games picked up, but this year I only had three. Okay, from that perspective, I agree. But in other shops, like Steven mentioned, Ignacy has mentioned on their show, that they actually have in-house designers. Okay, yeah. Okay, and so a game comes in, and it's not like, oh, it's it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the in-house designers tweak it. They know what the process is. And then all of a sudden, hey, we don't have as many games coming in. What happens? So to go back to the original question of what does a bubble burst to me look like is where you start seeing less games come out from the big publishers, which will then reduce the amount of work for the people inside. And it's the the standard trickle down effect. Gen Con, the floor might be a little bit less crowded like that would ever happen. That's what I'm saying. Even, even I who think if the bubble burst, is that drastic where all of a sudden half the people go to Gen Con? Is it, or is it, is the bubble bursting mean the amount of board game sales decreases one year as opposed to the last year. I mean, it's been growing year over year. So if it doesn't grow, does that consider the bubble? But I just don't know what that looks like Okay, if it burst. And no, I, I see what you're saying. It could be a lot of people say, oh, publishers just close down. Publishers go away. They go out of business. I guess that could be part of it. More games are coming out. And we've always said year after year, that as long as more people are playing board games, there's more people to buy the more games that are coming out. But at some point, will there be more games being put out than people coming into the hobby, you know, or vice versa? Well, vice versa would be good if there's more people coming in, the games produced, and actually you're going to have a boom. But I guess the thing is, is, is the number of people coming into the hobby keeping up with the number of new games that are coming out? Because everybody still has X amount of dollar to spend per year on games, right? So they can't, oh, I'm going to still just buy 10 games. 
Now there's just more to choose from from those 10 games. But if you have more people coming in also buying 10 games, then that's where the growth is. I don't know. Maybe maybe it just won't stop. Maybe it's just a steady growth market. Or or the growth slows down. Maybe that's it. Or the growth slows down. Yeah. I mean, maybe people turn and, and do something else. I mean, if you look at a microcosm of, of, say, one company, you could probably look at one company and say their sales are down, their sales are up. and But I don't know that you could take that and look macroeconomically at the entire hobby and say, okay, well, you know, it's down or up. You could have individuals in it, you know, go down. We've talked about before about Games Workshop four or five years ago hurting, closing shops all over the place. And over the past four or five years, they've totally turned around. They've had another reported again, year over year growth. So that's one that's booming. But then I look at somebody like Privateer Press. I don't know, haven't seen any numbers, but their popularity has dropped way off. So you could probably pinpoint individual companies that may be struggling. I just wonder if you can actually look at the hobby and say, boom or bust. Okay. So this is how I view this. I've had one year or no, I've had a semester of economic, uh, two semesters of economics at NC State as an engineer just to get those courses credit. That was my extent of economics. So if you want to, you know, keep talking these deep subjects, we need to bring another guest on. I'm just, I love economics. I mean, I also took two economics classes in state and those were two of my favorites. One of them was intro to economics. What was your second one? Uh, my second one was um, so, uh, economics about your state. It was a core, I forget the name of it, but it, it dwelled into the, the state economics of North Carolina and how the economic changed in North Carolina from, you know, the farming and the industry to tobacco and all that. That was a, that was a very interesting course. And my other one was uh, history of American economics, which basically went back to the revolutionary war up through modern times and just showed how the economics grew. You went through different stages of the economy growing, you know, industrial revolution, everything. That was also one of my favorite classes, but the only problem was it was late in the afternoon. And sometimes our co-ed softball game would be at the same time as the class. So I'd have to skip the class and get the notes later. So I'm complaining softball. Maybe that was the course I took. I took it over the summer, but it was kind of, you know, that's been a few years ago. <laughs> Just a few. You could pull up your transcript and see. No, I don't need to pull up my transcript. I've got a job. I'm good right now. But if you want to debate with me about what does it all mean, I'll tell you what, this is something I can debate. Okay, talk to me. This Spider-Verse movie. Oh, so you finally went and saw it? Yeah, I went and saw it. Okay, Spider-Verse meaning uh, the uh, Spider-Man into the multiverse, the the, the animated movie that came out at the end of last year. Yes. Yeah. Just catch everybody up. Just catch everybody up. And I wish I could get my $5 back. What the heck are you talking about? I am talking about... I'm a big, big Spider-Man fan. Big Spider-Man yes, fan. Yes, Dude. yes, you are, which is which is why I thought you like it. So if you're saying you weren't crazy about it, and I was, then change my mind. Why should I not be crazy about this movie? I'm not going to change your mind about this. I don't want to try to change your mind. I, first off, I did not have my eleptic, uh, epileptic seizure notice on the screen. At the beginning, it should have been there because there every time I saw it, I saw it twice. You saw it twice. Well, I, I guess I will. I guess I was asleep because you know during the previews I've seen most of them, and maybe I was getting a quick nap, getting ready for this big movie. I don't know. I I felt like the movie was out of focus, and it could have been, but it looked out of focus to me. It was not okay. Now I think I may have said this before. The animation is a subjective thing, right? Some people 
were really disoriented by it. And I totally get it because it is a definitely different type of animation. And you're right. There, there are parts where Vanessa saw it with me the second time and she leaned over one time and said, is this a 3D movie? We don't have our 3D glasses. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I think, and I think that's what took it away from me. Donna closed her eyes and fell asleep. It's true. There was some uh, animation where the background looked kind of blurry some animation was really cool, though. I don't know if you noticed some of the close-up animation looked like uh, the, the faces uh, were drawn like they were in the old-time comics mm-hmm. where they were made of little dots. Yeah. That, that was kind of cool. Okay, I'll give you. The animation can be jarring, can be a turnoff, but that can't be the only thing if you didn't like this movie. And that's what I'm wondering is I think that was such a turnoff mm. that I completely checked out because my daughter who came and saw it a second time she goes well i'm sorry you didn't like it daddy i thought for sure you would like it she goes were you not engaged by the character did you not care for them did you not care for miles and i'm like sweetie i i was just checked out I, now i i love their portrayal of live octavius uh, no what's what's doc ox is it live uh doc ox daughter yeah yeah I, yep. that was i enjoyed that character but the rest mm-hmm. of them, I'm like, that's not Hobgoblin. What's with this scorpion thing going on here? Huh? Kingpin's not that fat. Uh, you know? <laughs> well, to, to me, it was a comic book come to life. Everything's out of proportion and blown up in the comic book. And you just can't pull that off with a real movie. But the animation, animated movie, you can. But see, and I guess that's what the problem was for me. The animation wasn't the animation I was expecting. There was a, um, and I mean, I love the references back to the, you know, the 1960 Spider-Man theme song. I Yeah, that is very cool. There was a lot of Easter eggs in there. If you, if you knew the Spider-Man uh, universe, yep. But when I was watching that, there was a 1960 Spider-Man where Spider-Man went underground against the plant people. Okay, I remember that one. Yes. That one created... You know, not seizures, but my head hurt after that one. And that's how I fe- felt here. Yeah, that was a drug-induced one. I, I agree. <laughs> some of those 60s animated episodes were definitely... Okay, they were a little bit on some LSD at this point when they uh, when they shot this one. I get it. And I thought, if anything, it might be the animation that bothers you. And I hate that you checked out the rest of the movie because I enjoyed all the characters. I thought the writing was great. I laughed. There were some good feels during the movie. I just thought the story was good. Uh, I loved all the different Spider-Man from their different universes. Spider-Gwen was amazing. Oh, but come on. Spider-Man Noir with Nicolas Cage. Come on. That was amazing. No, it wasn't. It was boring. You didn't like Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir? No, you could have. You could have stopped there and you could have got rid of Peter Porker and I would have been happy. But, uh, But both of those, throw them out. Just throw them out. I did not. I did not enjoy those two characters. I guess 1930s Spider. I just did not sit well with me. It didn't. And I'm I'm sorry. And I know it. It's. I mean, I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong because Lord, it's 92 percent on on Rotten Tomatoes. 92 percent. So I know I am wrong. Well, no. Here's the thing. Your opinion is not wrong. It's your opinion. It's just that you don't have the same opinion a lot of other people do. So 92 percent of them. <laughs> it is a 97 percent critics. Okay. On Rotten Tomatoes, but throw that one out. If you look at the audience reviews, 94%. Yeah. And here's the thing. It means you just agree with a 6% of the audience that says it wasn't for me. I, again, I can't stand it when people go, when people have an opinion and then all of a sudden somebody else is wrong. It's called an opinion for a reason. Hey, if you don't like a game, 
That doesn't mean you had to get upset because somebody else does like a game and vice versa, you know? And then guess what? You aren't the best person to tell me whether I should like a game or not. I'm sorry. I just get riled up and people tell me what I should and should not like. But it gives you a gauge. You're right. And you could say, wow, I, uh, I just didn't like this movie as much as, as a lot of other people. And that is A-okay. Now, I, I am interested into why, because there were so many things I liked about it. So it is curious to hear about why you didn't. Okay, so you didn't like the the other the two new characters or or the some of the characters from the other verse. What about the story itself? Did you did you just check out the story about the whole Miles story and and it's a typical Spider Man story. Mm-hmm. Spider Man's always about a teenager who's going through changes and how to deal with it, right? I mean, it's a typical Spider Man trope. Yeah, it is, and I mean overall, yeah, good story. But once again. I, and I think, because I, I did go in there, because I am such a big Spider-Man fan, I was really looking forward to it. So I'm wondering if that just, you know, as I was going through there, getting restless, thinking, okay, where's this going? How's this going? Did I enjoy the Miles story? I'll be honest with you. He got bit by a spider, tried to figure out how to become a Spider-Man, and Peter Parker helped him. That's what I walked out of there with. Hmm. I know, I know, I can understand and, and and I can appreciate those who, I can definitely appreciate the art, I can appreciate the character, I can appreciate it all, it just wasn't for me, like you said. It's it, it, That's the way it goes. I even like the voice acting. I thought the guy who did, did, did the guy who did the, the Peter Parker, I don't know if you recognize this, an actor from New Girl, no. I don't know if you've ever watched that show, but anyway, he, he's from there, I thought he did a fantastic job. Lily Tomlin is Aunt May. Come on. That was awesome. And when did Aunt May get an engineering degree? I don't know, but that was pretty awesome, too. <laughs> that was cool. Aunt May was cool. Yes, there were some definitely redeeming qualities. And I did like the fact, and this is from the comics, you know, Aunt May always knew who Peter Parker was. Always. I mean, she basically, when she, and I forget before they revamped it, you know, she basically said, Peter, I knew who you were. I don't know why you tried to hide it, but I just let you do it anyway. Anyway, okay, enough about Spider-Earth. All right, so what else we got here? Speaking of confusion, have you opened your grizzled armistice yet? I have not. You're talking about that beautiful new version that came out with the uh, minis? with the nice painted miniatures and everything. I have not had a chance to break into it. I guess you have. I was going to play it. I wanted to play it. Okay. I had friends who love the grizzle come over. So I, okay. I opened the box up and I look and there's the miniatures and there's this insert with no cards. Nothing. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. I'm confused. I don't understand what's going on here. So I open up the book real quick because where am I going? What's contained, right? What's what, what, what's, what's in the box? What's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Let's do a checklist here. Maybe, maybe I got a bad copy. Okay. I'm missing something. So I put it all back together and I picked up the box and I'm like, wait a minute, this box is real heavy. Where are the cards? Well, the cards are underneath the miniatures, some of them. Okay. So I'm frantically going to BGG, trying to figure out what's going on. And they're talking about, well, you need your cards from the original Grizzled for this version. What? I'm all confused. What do I need to do? How do I need to set this up? Yeah, you got to go in and, and take your cards from your old version. If you've done this, you got to do that. And I'm like, okay, I've got an hour before these people are coming over here. I don't have time to figure all this out. I got to learn a game real quick so I can get this on the table. This ain't going to be it. So, And I've yet to go back and keep investigating what went on. It just struck me as, okay, where are the cards? <laughs> that can't be right. That's I thought that's 
That's not an expansion. That thought that was a standalone version. That's what I thought. I mean, this is probably an easy answer to solve if we look up somewhere, but it's kind of hard in the middle of a recording. Well, and we're not, but if you go look at the image of the box and the box opening, people are opening the boxes and it's the same as mine. Okay. And then I pull out these pack of cards. I'm like, there's not enough cards here. Or are there? I, I, I got to move on. Let's let's move on. Let, we'll figure this out later. And I haven't gone back to it. And I was kind of hoping that maybe you would shed some light on this. I can't um, shed any light because I haven't opened it yet either. Well, maybe our listeners can. Maybe they can say, as we say over at our BGG Guild, number 1589, that's 1589, over at the BGG, they can, you're an idiot. This is what you need to do. Get that lot. Well, it's always a popular uh, answer on the um, polls I put out there. So I was just like, I'm, I'm confused by this. I, I just cannot believe. That can't be it. There's no way it's it's an add-on to the existing game. I just can't believe it would be. All There's right, no I, way. I'll tell you what. Do you want to pause the recording right now? We'll put some pause music on. You go get your box. Yes. Yeah. All right. That's all right. We, we're going to go look. So, so we'll be back in just a couple seconds. Okay, that took a little bit longer than what we expected. You may have only been gone a couple seconds, but we've been actually talking about this for about 15. Tony went and got his box, and now he's in the process of looking to see if you have the 68 trial cards, which is what I think you were referring to. The trial cards are the ones with the bullets and the whistles and the gas mask, and you're holding them in your hand right now. So what's the problem? The problem is I'm stupid, but that's okay. Okay, I'm not (laughs) supposed to use that word. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to use that word. I am uninformed, and um, but it says the deck of campaign cards. Do not shuffle this deck of cards. Before starting the campaign, read the basic rules of the rulebook. Place this deck in the table with this side up and flip over this card to begin your game. So I had not taken the shrink off of it. It did not look like a hundred and some cards. There, I was like, there's no way that's a hundred and some cards. And now I'm flipping through it because what do you expect to see when you open up a game? You expect to see the cards there, right? Yeah. And, and in fact, on BGG, there is a picture, like you said, of a, once a person opens a box, it's basically miniatures and then a bunch of empty slots in the insert. That's right. I panicked. I was like, I've got to get this figured out. And I therefore didn't explore. And yes, there are some cards here, the basic armistice. I'm not shuffling them. I'm rifling through them. And so there you go. So I guess you can do that. And then I miss, I guess when I was reading the thing, people were talking, well, does it, do you need the new expansions? And uh, I think one of the questions, one of the questions was, is, is it the base plus expansion? Right. I think that was a question too. So, but we can confirm for everybody right now, Tony, if they go out and buy the Armistice edition of the Grizzled, they have everything they need to play, correct? I would say I cannot confirm since I haven't played it, but there are cards there. I got to go through (laughs) this, but I can't, I can't look at this deck because it says, Deck of can do not shuffle. Because it's all there, people. It's gotta it's be. It's all there because it's gotta be. Because we also found the rule book that had all the parts, all the parts listed in there. And I, I think you you got them. And if you don't, then there's a problem with a particular copy of game that you got and not everything's in there that needs to be in there. My game, my stuff's broken. That's what I'm thinking. <sighs> Besides me, I know I'm broken. But anyway. Okay. Woo. That's good. Do you feel a little bit better now? So when you have your friends over, you maybe gonna try it now? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll try it now. This will be good. Okay. Well, okay, I feel better. There's something I want to try. So, Tony, we've probably talked about GMT games before and their P500 program. Yes. For those who don't know, the P500 program from GNT Games is where they have a whole list of games that they want to publish, but they will not publish those games or go to print with them until at least 500 people have pre-ordered the game. Pretty smart idea. You only basically, it's kind of almost like a print on demand. Their demand value happens to be 500. So I don't know where I, I saw this. Somebody posted on Twitter or something about Battleline, a card game that I heard some good things about. It's from Reiner Knizia, and the art looked good, and I was sucked in. This game is only like $16. Mm-hmm. And I went and read reviews and I said, I'm interested in this. And when I posted on Twitter that I was looking at our pre-order battle line, people were like, oh, you're going to love this. It's a great 30-minute two-player game. And I thought, oh, 30-minute two-player? That's right in the Bojangles lunch time limit right there. So I've placed an order. And then I was like, now I want to hurry up and get it printed. When I ordered it, there were only 60-something pre-ordered. And that was about a week and a half ago, and it's up to 465 as, as of this recording. So there's a very good chance that by the time this recording is released, it will be at 500. And GMT has said that as soon as it hits 500, it'll go to the top of the queues, I guess because it's easy to make, and we're going to get it out there. So I'm excited. I've never done a GMT 500, P500 game before. And while I was there, I also uh, pre-ordered Hunt for uh, Blackbeard too, Which so. I'm very excited about. That you've ordered that one. That one looked because when you posted this, I'm like, okay, what has he found? What do I need to go look at? Here I go. Oh, look, I'm over at GMT. Oh, the 500. Oh, close your wallet. Don't get out the credit card. And then I'm like, Blackbeard. Oh, I got to talk. Oh, that looks really good. And then you tell me you ordered that one. I'm like, okay, that saved me a lot of money. And the reason why, uh, uh, I'm into Blackbeard and, and, uh, people may not realize this. So Tony and I are from North Carolina. And basically, Blackbeard lived in the Outer Banks of North Carolina for a little bit and was actually captured and killed here Mm -hmm. off the Outer Banks. Yep. And uh, he retired here. So there was uh, the governor gave him a pardon. He said, you know, I'm going to stop being a pirate. I'm going to settle down, get a wife and everything like that. And and basically, the governor said, "Okay, that's cool. But he was still because they were kind of friends. And also, uh, Blackbeard had brought a lot of uh, growth to the state. Well, he couldn't avoid his pirating ways, and he went back to pirating again. And then um, I can't remember the the, uh, the military, the gentleman's name that called him, but they eventually called him in the in the Outer Banks. And there's a big Blackbeard uh, museum out there, and supposedly at the place where he was captured and killed, Blackbeard's ghost still roams the island looking for his head because they cut his head off. Do we know it was really Blackbeard? Are we sure that this really wasn't kind of like the? Dread Pirate Roberts? This was for sure Blackbeard. I mean, this is confirmed. It was Blackbeard that lived in North Carolina. I know. I'm saying that, but maybe he went and he hid, and then he found someone else that looked like him, kind of like the Dread Pirate Roberts, and he took his place. And if you know The Princess Bride, you know the story behind that. And it was not really the real Blackbeard, but it was (laughs) his first crewman or or something like that. We don't know this. I I didn't live back then. Don't ruin this for me. The Blackbeard who basically wore candles in his beard so his beard would smoke and he would look more menacing. Okay, I'm going to throw a flag on that. If they were lit, he'd catch his fire. He'd catch his face on fire. I'm just saying, I'm saying that's the lore that goes along with Blackbeard and there's pictures of him with with smoking candles in his beard. Okay, fine. All right, so you got that one. And then meanwhile, I'm I'm sitting here watching the um, Aftershock Kickstarter stronghold. Stephen mentioned this. (laughs) 
Editor Marty here. We had just found out after we recorded that the Kickstarter for Aftershock had been postponed, but it will be coming back at a later date. Now back to our show. Um, by the time this episode is released, I'm sure, I mean, it's right there on getting funded. Alan Moon. I mean, an Alan Moon game about earthquakes. I got to show this to Donna because first off, she loves Ticket to Ride. Second, she likes uh, disaster movies. So I'm like, this might be right up her speed. So hold on, hold on. This may be right up her speed. This might be her speed. Okay, bad. It was a bad thing. Listen. It was mixed metaphors. Right up your alley or it's at her speed. For 164 episodes, you know I mix them. (laughs) You need to get used to that. It's not like I'm drawing a conclusion or anything like that, okay? (laughs) Stephen Bonacore reference. No, I I do it too because you just don't correct me, but I'll go back and be editing. I'm like, what the heck did I just say? And I'll rewind it and go... That didn't make any sense at all. Again, that's why we're just providing background noise for the rest of the community and have been for six years straight. Yeah, so even when I'm recording, it's like I checked out like I did at Spider-Verse. Oh, Lord. Are you done? I, Are you done? I am. The Spider-Verse I hate? Uh, it's not hate. You do know You do know Spider-Verse won a Golden Globe for Best Animated Movie, and you do know it's probably it's nominated for an Oscar. And good chance to win that one, too. Okay. So first off, let me ask you this. How many animated movies did they have to go find stuff, find find references to compete against it? Is that what they had to do? Because we got the squirrelies coming up. You mean like Incredibles 2? You mean like uh, Wreck-It Ralph? Yeah. Incredibles 2. Okay. Don't get me going down that road. I don't need any more hate mail than I'm already going to get. Okay? You weren't a fan of that one either? Incredibles 2? I waited all those years. disappointment. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was. I haven't seen Wrecked Ralph breaks the internet yet. Uh my son saw it. He said, "Eh, yeah. first one's better." Okay, and, and I thought, "Eh, it does look better." Toy Story Four. Come on, don't ruin this franchise for me. I don't think they will. I hope not. Hey, speaking of which, we actually got our movie episode coming up in April, so we're gonna have to start doing some research soon on movies. And I will make sure it is ready to go, so we can get it recorded, and I can get my first pick in the draft. Woohoo! I think yours is going to be an easy pick, but we'll worry about that when it comes around in April. But you know what? We're it, It's time to talk board games. Let's. We got to play some incredible games. You got to play an additional game where um, at the Queen City Game Club. I'm interested to hear a little bit about that. I hope you will tell me about it. Chronicles, right? What do you think of Chronicles? Chronicles of Crime. So Chronicles of Crime has the same kind of theme as detective uh there uh, you're trying to uh, solve a mystery it's just the mechanics of how you do it are totally different the it's an app-based game different than what uh detective is this is an app-based game where you're going to use your camera and the uh the phone on your camera and all the cards in the game have qr codes and over the course of the game you're you're scanning cards for clues like for example you'll scan a card of a person that you want to talk to and when you're talking to them, you can scan like things that you found. Hey, here's a hammer over here. And you scan it and it tells you what that person thinks of that hammer. I don't know anything about that hammer. Or let me tell you a little bit about that, about that hammer. So it's this really cool technology uh, of using the, the cards and everything in order to question people. And when you go to locations, you scan a location. It says, okay, you're at this location. At this location, this person is here. And you go and can go and talk to that person. There's a cool thing where you can look at the crime scene where uh, it gives you these glasses, kind of like a like a 3D virtual type glasses that you attach to the phone. And then you look you look through the glasses and it uses the accelerometer in the phone so you can look up and down, left and right, like you're looking around a room. 
And then you can like look for clues and, and tell the people, Hey, over there, I see a hammer and they look through the clue cards and say, okay, there's a hammer in this room. Oh, there's a rope. Oh, they look through the clue card, see if they can find a rope. And then that's what you kind of use for your clues. So all that is really cool. And it has somewhat of the same experience as detective, but it's still totally different games. Detective is pretty much, you're going to grab some pizza. You're going to grab some drinks. You got some cards on the table and you're just going to sit around and talk and deduce for a couple hours. Here, you're playing more of a game uh, because you're shifting cards around, moving cards around. Uh, you're using the app and uh, that sort of thing. So they're both very good. Chronicles is just a tad different. It does have a different feel. And it's one of those things that if somebody's really into board games where you want to solve uh, mysteries, they're both worth checking out. And you also got to play another game that I, I was hoping to play, but Vanessa got that opportunity and that is Precious Cargo. What'd you think of that? You know what? Let me go get Vanessa and she'll sit down with me and we'll do a five minute initiative and tell you about it. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Hey, y'all. It's time for a five-minute initiative. You thought I was going to say episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Well, not tonight, right, Marty? That's right, because I had a game I wanted to get to the table that I thought might be good for the family, for kids. And since Vanessa's a teacher, I thought she might be good to bring on and talk about it. And I enjoyed playing it. It was called Precious Cargo. That's right. Designed by Don Reed and Peter Nesbitt and published by Winning Moves Games. This is a two-player game. And one of the things that Vanessa really liked about the game is... It plays in about 25 minutes, y'all. That's right. Because every time I come to Vanessa and I say, Vanessa, would you like to play a game? The first question she asks is... How long is it, Marty? That's exactly right. So when I brought up Precious Cargo and I said half an hour, she said, all right, I'm in. And I said, will you record a segment with me on the show? Now, hold on just a minute. That's a little bit extra. <laughs> yeah, I do say that. But then I also thought, too, my second question usually is, does it have dice? <laughs> That's right. And unfortunately, and I'll play a longer game with dice. And unfortunately, this one does not have dice. But let's talk about what this game is. Oh, yeah. Very enjoyable, even without dice. It had really nice wooden ships. That's right. Because the goal of this game is to generate money. And you're going to generate money by going from your island to your opponent's island when this is only a two-player game. So there's just two islands on the board. And picking up some cargo, some resources that they produce. And you're going to bring it back to your side and sell it at one of your ports for money. And each port may have a different value for what they'll buy it back. There, different ports have different demand for different types of goods. There may be some ports looking for a particular type of good, and if so, they'll pay you full price for it. But you can sell it at any port. It's just they'll only give you one coin for it as opposed to the full price. But what's interesting also, too, is about these uh, ships, because on your turn, you're going to move all the ships on your board. You start out with one. You can have up to three. And when you move, it depends on the number of sails you have on the ship. You can either have one, two, or three sails. And that's not part of the two actions that you can take. At the beginning of your turn, you move your ships. So I always felt like I was doing something extra. Now, after you move your ships, you can take two of six actions. And those can be several things. One is set up a governorship at a port. And that's just taking a meeple. You have three meeples. You can put it in your port. And that's important because if you have a meeple in your port, then you have the option of building a new ship. You also have the option of adding a sail to a ship in that port. 
And if you sell your goods at that port with the governor, you get more money. That's right. And you can have a governor at your own port or your opponent's port. Which Vanessa did. She set up a governor in my port. So every time I sold at that port, not only did I get money for selling the goods, she got one coin for every good that I sold. Very smart move, which is why you probably won the game. (laughs) Well, I did win the game. (laughs) Probably I did win the game. (laughs) So that is going to go over over the course of the entire game until somebody gets to 25 coins and then they will end up winning the game. But we like the game because we like some of the decisions you have to make over the course of the game. Man, how messy do I do? I build an extra ship. Should I put more cells on the ship? And that's something to consider. Sure. Cells determine the number of spaces I can move across the board. But that means that's less cargo I can hold. You can have up to four slots on the ship, and they could be any combination of cargo and sails. So a fast-moving ship can only carry one good, but a slow-moving ship with only one sail can carry three goods. We like the game because of those decision factors. And on the box, it said ages 10 and up. We thought maybe eight and up was more realistic. Yeah, well, we were surprised at it too. We first thought, oh, it had to be eight and up because we thought it was really easy to follow. There's a nice little player guide that each of you have that explains each of the, the moves that you can make. The only thing that was probably confusing, Vanessa, was understanding that your ports had goods that were sold from the other side. And sometimes it was confusing on which side has what goods to sell and where. Right, because when I sailed to your island, I wanted to buy the goods that you were showing, but I needed to buy the goods that I was showing at my ports. That's exactly right. And when you go to the other person's port, you can buy any goods that they have, regardless of whatever token is sitting at that port. But you want to sail back on your side to where that token matches the good that's on your ship. Right. In general, we enjoyed the game. I think oh, yes. I, it's one of those that uh, looks good on the table. The big ships are will be easy for kids to handle. The only thing that we thought the kids might have an issue with are the the masts themselves. They're thin wooden dowels and we the sails are like little paper sails. We thought they might get crinkled, maybe torn. So we I wished that there were plastic Mm-hmm. Maybe plastic ships with plastic masks where they wouldn't get messed up. But that was about the only little nitpick I had about it. Oh, right. Me too. I also like that the board wasn't intimidating. And it wouldn't be intimidating for someone new to gaming or we're saying kids, but our parents would like to play it also. It isn't a large board. No, it's, it's very not. manageable. And it has lines on the board where you move your ships and right. it has little little dots and you move just from dot to dot based on the number of sales that you have. This is a game that I think would be uh, very kid friendly. Vanessa is the teacher. Do you agree? Do you give a teacher approval? I give it teacher approval. So that is, again, Precious Cargo from Winning Moves Games. It has Vanessa approval over here. And now I'm ready for our precious moon pie. Let's go get one. Five minute initiative is complete. Tony, I love going out to thebrokentoken.com every two weeks to see what they got that we can talk about. And I ran across something here that that's really cool. Now, In the past, we've talked about their modular paint rack where you can store different types of paint. I actually have two of those here for um, holding Citadel paints. They now have this thing called a, uh, a modular paint rack single and double drawers and what this is it's a, a drawer that's underneath the paint rack so the paint rack is on top of the drawer and you have a single drawer that you can pull out to hold brushes files basically anything that you want tape measures and stuff or they have a double uh, drawer that's uh, basically the single drawer cut in half with two separate drawers 
It's little things like that that just really impressed me with the broken token. Those things aren't that expensive. They're like 10 bucks or uh, $12, whichever one you go for. So you can buy the paint rack, put this underneath it, and you have a nice little storage area for not only your paint, but your brushes and files. And you can find that and many other cool things over at thebrokentoken.com. We were excited to try out a brand new game from Rio Grande Games called Beta Colony. This game is designed by Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback, who have worked together on a lot of different games uh, such as Fleet. And Tony, you and I met at the game store, got in, a, got in a few games of this, and when going through the rules and everything, we thought, okay, we kind of get this because, you know, at its core, it's kind of like your basic Euro game. The, the theme is uh, you're trying to colonize a planet and uh, you are out there trying to collect resources and build pods to go on one of three different colonies on the planet. So you're going to collect resources. You're going to spend resources to build the pods, which are little hex tiles to go on the colony. And uh, when you build a pod, uh, on a colony, you influence that colony, which moves your marker around and influence track for that particular colony, which gives you more things like more resources, victory points. And at the end of the game, there's an additional scoring for area majority. The more people you have in a colony will give you a chance to score some victory points. Now, Tony, you'd probably say, hey, that's kind of your pretty basic Euro, right? I would say that because one, I'm winning by victory points. But what got me or got my first question came to my mind is obviously we were not the team that was selected to do the better colonies. We had the beta colony. There was another team that obviously got to do the alpha colony. <laughs> we are the we are the slack explorers who really don't know how to set anything up. So we got beta colony. I, and I, I can, and based on my victory point score at the end of those games, <laughs> I completely agree with that statement. No wonder I should be on Charlie colony, actually. Or Delta. Or Delta. Just go on from there, right? Yeah. We could just go right down the, the uh, list. I don't, we? how far can you go, Echo? Oh, crap. There's not an F, is there? Yeah, Foxtrot. Oh, no. Oh, I thought you were about Greek letters. No, no, no. We're doing the, we're doing the army call signs. Okay, hold on. A, B, C, D, E, F. So we're, we're on G. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Golf. Is it? Yeah, golf. You're going to do a lot better than I am because I'm already drawing a blank. That's all right. We'll just leave it at that because we're not going to go through all 26 <laughs> and really bore these people with it. It's like, oh my gosh, just shut up and move on. All right. Hotel. So so here's the thing. Indigo. Is, look at you. It's what we do at work, man. We got to use that. Oh, okay. Anyway, so yeah, you're absolutely right. We've got this colony that we got to get that's how you get your victory points and it's how you get your most of your scoring it's how you generate a lot of resources it is the choices that you need to make but uh, marty that dice mechanic when you told me dice semi lorenzo type i was like "Ooh, okay i'm listening i'm paying attention now if you're thinking well what's the big deal the big deal is the action selection mechanic of this game so every player is going to get a set of four different colored dice, black, green, blue, and red. And whoever is the starting player will roll their four dice. Everybody else will set up their dice to match the numbers and the colors uh, that were rolled on those dice. Then, starting with the first player, they're going to take a turn. They're going to choose two of those dice to move their ship around a circular track, which has all the different actions on them. But here's the trick. One die that you pick shows the number of spaces you'll move around that track. The second dice is used to activate that track. And based on the value of the die, 
you'll get certain things. Prime example, each of the resources that you could generate during the game had a, had a space on that track. So if I move my little player piece over to that spot and get there and it's like, okay, well now I'm going to get resources based on whatever the value of the die is, the other die is. So for example, if I use a die of value one through four, I would get one or the other of those resources. If I spend a five or six, I get my choice of two of them. There's another thing. You can also get a bonus by spending a certain color die for that space. So for example, one may say, hey, if you use the green die on here, you'll also get a victory point. So on your turn, you're trying to decide, well, I've got these four dice in front of me. I can use one of them to move around. I need to get to that space. So I'll spin this die to get to that space and then activate it with this die, which will give me this amount of resources. Okay, done. Next person's turn. Next person goes and they each spin two dice. Then it goes around one more time. So everybody takes two turns with their four dice. Very simple mechanic, but it's that action, action selection mechanic that makes this game stand apart from other standard fare Euro games. Also, if you don't like with the dice, there's a way to manipulate the dice, just like you do in Castles of Burgundy. You can spend some rocket fuel and change those dice numbers around. So from that standpoint, Marty, it was one of those things where you've really got to think through, hey, if I use this dice here, where's that going to move me on my next turn? Is it going to get me what I want? Is it going to get my resources? Am I wasting? Now you don't even have to use two dice and you can get some rocket fuel back. So that's a way to help you in future rounds. And then this goes for nine rounds at the end of three, six and nine, you do some scoring based on the, the um, special mission objectives that are turned over that. Did you get this point? If you had like, let's say seven rocket fuels. Okay. Right. Then you then you'd get some victory points for that. Or did you meet these conditions? You've got two explorers in this colony, or you've done this in that colony. Either way, there's various ways to get your victory points. For me, Marty, I think one of the interesting aspects of it, and I know this seems silly, I was so happy that they included everybody a set of dice instead of someone, you know, just rolling and sitting it out there for everybody to see. Yeah, I agree. And, and everybody has a little player board that they have their dice set on. And after you use them, you move them to the spent dice area. And by the way, you don't have to use the same two dice that the person right. started. So you could pick any two dice that you want on your turn. And uh, those, those actions, you can be, there's multiple things. There's getting all the resources. There's ones that give you uh, more Fuel, which are like the workers, like you said, in Castles of Burgundy, where you can spend fuel to increase the value of the dice up or down. There's a place where you actually get the pods. It's called the Manufactory. And based on whatever die you spent, there's four rows of uh, pods that you can choose from. And whatever value die you spend on, on uh, that space will determine which row you get a pod from. And to get a pod, you got to spend a resource of that color of pod and then you're going to put it on one of the colonies, on one of the spaces of the colonies, and you have to spend a resource that matches the space where you're going to put that pod on the colony. And then there's this little thing. Well, if you build beside a like-colored pod, you get extra influence. And if you get influence, you move up an influence tracker, which would give you even more stuff. So you're constantly trying to think, what's the best thing to do? I want to build a pod. Well, if I put a pod here, it's going to give me influence. If I do any influence, it's going to move up here. It's going to give me some victory points. It maybe gives me a resource. I have the resource next time to spend this die to move over here. <sighs> you can see where there's a lot of thought that goes into this game. But the bad side of it is... Uh-oh, there's a bad side. If you don't like the destiny of the dice being controlled by someone else, you know, their role... Because Marty is unlucky and his role stinks and it does not help you at all. Then you're like, oh, 
This is awful. Yeah, but to me, I don't think that's any different. Somebody brought that up at our table. I don't think that's any different than Lorenzo El Manifico. Somebody rolls the dice and everybody has to use those dice. I don't disagree with you, but I mean, if you don't like Lorenzo for that reason as well. Oh, okay. okay. But you can mitigate. Yeah. If you do have the fuel rods, regardless of the dice that you roll, and regardless of the space you need to get to, Collect fuel rods, just like workers in Burgundy, and you can do what you want. And if you don't have fuel rods, then like I wasn't, then you become in the Zeta colony because you, you didn't do well. Well, like you said, on your turn, you could just spend two die to grab a rod if you don't want to do anything. But that's almost like a last ditch effort. You probably want to do uh, something every turn. And so over the course of the game, you're going to have those three rounds, like you said, where you score. And at the very end, you're going to look at each of those colonies and whenever you build a pod, you put one of your meeples on there, on there to indicate that you own it. And that's one of the unique things about this scoring, Marty. This was another thing. I was like, say what? And I got to do what? Say, huh? At the beginning of the game, after we did it the first time, I was like, oh, okay. I understand this. <laughs> what are you talking about? The, the area control where you had to go. Well, if, if you have five people here and I got two people, that's a difference of three. We got to go over to this chart in the rule book. Mm -hmm. Was it on the board? I don't think it was on the board. I can't remember. Either way, you have to have this chart. So I, you need to have that in front of you to figure out, okay, okay, how many points I'm going to score. If there was a difference of three, then you would get six points. Here, there's this little chart. What do you do? You compare where you are with the lowest populated uh, player in that colony. They get zero points and you get points based on where they are. And they also, during the game, you can also do cultural achievements. You can build buildings, you can build monuments and those are spending resources based on the requirements of the card. And you get those. It's usually worth some victory points. Maybe you get some bonuses. So it's a little bit of point salady because there are multiple ways to generate points from building pods or building monuments or cultures. Make sure to do the end of the round scoring, doing area majority. But it all goes back to that one thing. On my turn, I'm going to spend do two die. One die to move my pawn. One die to activate that space. So overall for me, Marty, this was a interesting game, a good gray matter game. One that, okay, the results of the die, they got to get me thinking. At times I felt like I was never going to catch the, our leader. Mm -hmm. And so from that standpoint, I was going to say, mm, am I giving up here? No, let's maybe we can get, get ahead. But it just seemed like he kept getting farther and farther out front. Well, hopefully the end game scoring that area control might help get me pulled back up. So that's one of those things where you got to look, oh, he's building all those monuments and arch architecture feats. How am I going to catch him? I'm going to need to concentrate on that area control. That's true, but I don't know that somebody else, if they were starting to run ahead, could really you couldn't really affect them. I did. There wasn't a lot of player interaction. Maybe there was a monument you wanted to build that they took before you, or maybe there's a spot on the on the one of the colonies that you wanted to build something. But you really couldn't do a lot of things to a, a lot of other players, and you can't block action spots. Mm -hmm. I forgot to mention this. So on the action wheel, you can have multiple people. You can have everybody taking the same action if you want to. So it's not like a worker placement game where only one person can take that action anybody can do it so sure but i think that's like with any game if somebody's doing well i mean they just do well and maybe you just didn't grasp it that well is there a catch-up mechanic in this game no i mean but there's not a catch-up mechanic in most euro games uh, and I, i'm not saying that's bad what i'm saying is how do i need to readjust my strategy and maybe that's one of the things i'm not getting the resources and he's over there building well i need to look at another way at the end because i'm going to tell you that chart 
of the area control, if you get a big jump in lead, I mean, you can get a lot of points from that. Oh, sure. I mean, if there's a difference, and I believe somebody had it, didn't somebody have a difference of five between themselves and the last person? They got like 15 points. Yes. And then you sit there and think, well, I need to have a good area majority in, in all of them. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you focus on just two of the colonies and really exceed there and just forfeit getting points in the third. Or maybe you say, I'm not going to build monuments and stuff. I'm going to focus on getting pods out in the colonies. Or forget the colonies. I'm going to build all the monuments that I can. Again, there's multiple ways to generate uh, victory points, just however you want to do it. So the core is pretty straightforward. It's not going to be anything that's going to jump out and go, wow, this is really different. But it's the action selection. How you decide what you're going to do is what makes this game different. And that what makes it pop for me. I'm always looking for something to make a game stand out from some other game, a game that does something that maybe not other games are doing, and it was the action selection mechanic. That was it for me for this game. So that was Beta Colony from Rio Grande Games, designers Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback out now. We are so excited to have Tony, one of my favorite people in board gaming. I've known Miss Sarah Erickson for several years, and she is such a pleasure to work with. She is from Renegade Games. She is the director of sales and marketing, and she is coming to us all the way from Montana. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is great. Well, just stay with us for about five more minutes, and that excitement will wane, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I don't know. I am pretty in love with moon pies. So if you have any moon pies around, it might give you another five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I can get you some moon pies. I always now, Tony, Renegade Games is always one of those booths that I always make sure to go and dump a bunch off because I know that uh, she likes them. And actually, at the first PAX Unplugged, when I had a meeting with Sarah, I went over and got us some homemade uh, whoopie pies. Ooh, those are amazing. Yeah. yeah. And we sat there and, and we was like, yeah, okay, we can talk about games, but let's eat these whoopie pies. And they, were, <laughs> they were really good. It's true. <laughs> That's awesome. Sarah, we appreciate you coming on the show. First time guest. So we will take it slightly easy on you, but our hmm. last... Yeah. Hold on. Well, it's. <laughs> let me tell you what. There was supposed to be another person on this show, Danny who is, um, what, what's Danny's title? She is the Associate Marketing Manager. Associate Marketing Manager. Now, Danny has been our contact ever since she started last year. She does an amazing job keeping us up to date on games that are coming out. And she also uh, sets up uh, interviews and meetings at uh, things like Origins and Gen Con. And let's go back in time. And I'll tell you about this, Sarah, since I can't pick on Danny about this. So last <laughs> year at Gen Con, y'all had this really nice system where you send out emails. If you would like to meet with Renegade, select a time and and then we'll have a meeting. So it's all automated and everything. <laughs> so Tony and I show up at the booth. I think it was like a Friday afternoon at three o'clock for our allotted slot to meet with Danny and, and talk to her about the wonderful products coming out from Renegade Games. We get over there and she's running the register. Okay, that's fine. She She's kind of busy. So we hang around for a few seconds, a few minutes. And then I said, Danny, I said, is, you know, you just not going to be able to get away. She says, I am so sorry, guys. I just, I just can't get away from the register. Danny, that is a-okay. We understand you're totally busy. <laughs> About that time, the fine folks from Tantrum House walk up who's supposed oh, no. to talk to her afterwards. As soon as they get there, Danny goes, oh, okay, hold on a second, guys. Hey, could you come cover the register for me? I got to no! go talk to Tantrum House. 
Oh, that's awful. She's going to get a talking to about that one. Well, she, well, she knows where video is and how it can bring so much. She knows audio does nothing. And we understand that. And then we also find out y'all won a, a squirrely award last year from us. And it ends up being a bookend in your uh, booth. Tony, why did we have these people on the show? <laughs> oh, no. Because they make awesome games. And Marty, it was a book stand. If they put out another game that wins the squirrely, they can have bookends. So let's be clear. Oh, <laughs> but, that sounds like a challenge. I like it. <laughs> but with Sarah um, being in Montana and the fact that it's, what's the temperature right now? Negative two. Negative two. Yeah. She, that's definitely kindling right there. For the squirrelies. I will say that we have our, our squirrely awards are fine wooden products that will burn very well. So, you know, if you do need good, to keep warm. Good. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, I have a fireplace. We mm-hmm. we could use that. We go through a lot of wood. So perfect. I like it. <laughs> but Sarah, our listeners always want to know one very important thing for our new guests that come on. What type of mower do you have? Oh, this is an important topic at my house right now, actually. So we have two and a half acres. And we have a lawnmower <laughs> that is a riding lawnmower, but it has these handles that sort of go back and forth almost like oars instead of a regular wheel. And for whatever reason that my husband has tried to explain to me several times, I probably just wasn't paying attention. I do not understand why that type of mower is not the correct one. And so this week, he actually told me that he wanted instead to buy an electric riding lawnmower that was like three times more expensive than anything that was reasonable, just because he knew he would never be able to get one of those fancy uh, electric cars that Tesla's. He wants a Tesla. He's like, well, since I can't have a Tesla, I should just get an electric riding lawnmower instead. That was his justification. Two and a half hours to mow grass on an electric mower. I'm just not seeing it. I said the same thing. There's no way that battery is going to uphold. I mean, you're in Montana. You probably let the grass get a foot, two feet high out there so that you can keep the farm animals fed. Oh my gosh. No. Another important thing about having two and a half acres is that the people who owned this house before us would mow it all the time. And so there was this moss that started to grow because it actually got enough sunlight because there wasn't all this grass above it. Now the moss soaks up all of the water and the grass is dying. And so now we need to get a plow to hook up to the type of riding lawnmower that he wants so that we can plow the whole thing so we can break up the moss so the grass can grow. This is an ongoing regular discussion in my house, how to plow our two and a half acres. See, that's why we hit topics that are, you know, we we have topics that we, are important to everyone. And I guess everyone. those, the ore, the ore type of lawnmower is probably at like a zero turn radius mower. It is something like that. Yeah. You drive it almost like a tank where, where you have the two sticks and you pull yeah. it back. Yeah. It does take a little while to learn this, but it, I think that's a fair trade. Instead of a Tesla, you get an electric mower. That, that seems like a fair trade. <laughs> Except that the electric mower isn't strong enough to pull the plow that we need to pull. Oh. <laughs> this is where his plan fell apart, you see. I, and I'm, not, I'm sure you do because mowing is very therapeutic. How often do you go out there for two and a half acres? Because it is. It's very relaxing. <laughs> I never do that because my husband is basically retired. So he gets to do things like mow the lawn because I actually work for a living. 
<laughs> oh, okay. This is really interesting to our listeners, and I'm sure they didn't want to hear all, all the lawnmowers. Yes, electric cars is right out. I mean, that's you know. That's, so this is actually a very important topic because the game that we're about to talk about has to do with vehicles. Well, then why don't you tell us a little bit about that game that we're going to be talking about? Oh well, there are no lawnmowers in it yet, but <laughs> I, I have a feeling. That after this episode, we're going to have infinite requests. So n- anyway. <laughs> promo card. <laughs> the lawnmower. I love it. No, the pro- um, uh, a lawnmower can be used as a weapon, which I know you're going to reference in a little bit. Or it can be used as a distraction. Yes, yes. So there we just go. to set the stage here and let our listeners know a little bit about what we're talking about. Imagine for a moment that you are in the Nevada desert. And you maybe live in a semi-similar situation to, uh, to myself, where you live maybe on a farm. Maybe not. You know, you could be one of the townsfolk. And weird things start happening out in the desert. And you aren't really sure what's going on, but you've seen these black trucks driving around. There's more government activity than normal. And you start getting kind of interested in it. Comes out and that... Actually, what's going on is the government is out there doing some weird experiments, and they have offered to pay you money if you will help collect some of their escaped, sort of gone awry experiments going on. So what that means to you is that you're going to get in your vehicle of choice and drive out into the desert and look for these gruesome, glowy, maybe sort of slimy looking egg things. And if you can collect enough of those, they'll pay you for them. They're Mm -hmm. worth lots of money. So that's awesome. But the challenge is that these eggs belong to enormous underground worm creatures. And worm is actually an acronym, Weapons of uh, Remote Massacre which is what the government has called them. And these worms are traveling around underground and occasionally they will pop up out of the ground and attack whatever they can find. They throw dirt all over the place, rocks go everywhere, make it harder for you to drive around. So you are running around on this board that, by the way, is one of my favorite components in the game because it is enormous. I could almost squeeze down into a size that I could fit inside of it. And... It is shaped like an egg. It's actually die cut, so it's got little squiggles on the outside. It's amazing. So you play on this big board. You run around with your car or your tank or maybe your uh, big rig and try and collect these worms, avoid the worms, and try and get those worms to attack your opponents, which is really the fun part of the game. So that's just a little bit of all the excitement going on. And what's this game called? It is Terror Below. I'm pretty sure you have to say it like that. (laughs) And it's designed by who? It's designed by Mike Elliott. And if you have not heard Mike's name before, I am almost positive you've played one of his games. He has designed more TCGs than any other living person on this planet. But he also has designed a ton of amazing board games like Quarriers, Thunderstone, Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of other stuff. Go look him up on Board Game Geek. Um, He was just... A few years ago, put into the Hall of Fame of Gamers during Origins, which is a huge honor. It's actually a really short list of people, but he's just made such a big impact on our industry that they decided to add his name to that list. So wonderful guy. If you ever get a chance to meet him, he's just a delight. 
So we're really lucky to get to work with him on this game. I had the uh, fortunate chance to be able to talk with Mike Elliott at uh, Dice Tower Con next year. Uh, he and uh, me and Chaz sat there and did like a little video thing, and he was hilarious. He's one of those guys that uh, we always talk about how Richard Lonius always has these great stories to tell. Mike Elliott's the same way. He's just been in the industry so long, used to do magic and all this. He has all these wonderful nuggets of of news and stories and little behind the scenes things that he can tell you about. He, he's And he's funny. The guy is just hilarious and just a joy to be around. Unlike Tony. Yes, I, <laughs> I completely agree with that statement and I, and I can own that statement. Now, just so our listeners know that this, this is a Kickstarter that came out out on February 5th, or is that the plan date? All right, so yep, they're, yep. they're listening to this show, so it's already been out a week. So congratulations on your funding. Yes, that's right. Woo! Yay, we made it. I'm sure it's funded. We, we are foretelling the future. I did it when we <laughs> talked about Forbidden Island with um, Restoration Games, about the million dollars. We were having a blast with them. So once again, <laughs> oh, is that another stretch goal? Oh, my gosh, Sarah, that's amazing. We are looking forward to Crystal <laughs> Eggs. What else is going to happen here? Come on. Oh, no. Yeah, the joys of February 4th, the day before the Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> but we can pretend it's in the future. Oh, we, we always pretend. <laughs> and I'm looking at the Kickstarter page, and it looks like this, this is a good deal. It's like $45 for the game? It is. So you can get the, the game for 45 bucks, but you also get the hidden cash for free. And the hidden cash is where we're going to be putting a lot of our stretch goals. It's just extra upgraded stuff. So it starts out with the tank meeple. So instead of driving around in a sedan, you can be driving around in a tank, which obviously is better unless you really love sedans. Um, and then you also are going to get tons of other little upgraded stuff that we're going to be unlocking throughout the campaign. And then main game itself, there's a few things that we wanted to unlock in that as well. So we'll unlock a few of those, but then move on to the hidden cash for the most part. And if you go over to the Kickstarter, you can watch uh, the Tantrum House has already put together an incredible video. I mean, Kevin and Sarah have gone out and done a great job of explaining it, but it's a, basically, it's a Pick up, deliver, destroy your own, uh, destroy the other opponent. Yeah, so it is interesting that way. So you definitely are interacting a lot, which I really like because when I sit down at a table with other people to play a game with them, there are games where I've definitely enjoyed sitting there by myself doing my own thing for three hours. But the main reason I'm there is to hang out with my friends. So in this game, you are definitely interacting. Uh, you start out with three cards that are your characters, and they each have different abilities, and each one of them is sort of like imagining a video game. You get three different lives. If one of them dies, no biggie, you'll just go on to the next one. <laughs> and sometimes they'll give you points for dying. There are lots of good things that can happen. But when you die, you drop all those eggs that you were collecting, any items and weapons you found lying around in the desert, so other people can come and grab those. There is incentive for other people to come and mess with you, but there's also sometimes incentive for you to kick that character to the curb and go on to the next one. And if you want them back, you can always go to the hospital too. So there's there's no player elimination in this because if somebody does lose all three of their characters, the game immediately ends and you just score your points. Or if somebody gets to 20 points, then the game also will end and you score your points then. So either way, it's nobody's sitting around waiting. Hold on, let me let me scratch off that question because it was player elimination. When I first saw the rules and everything, I thought, oh, there's player elimination. I'm not a fan of that. But there's not. That's a game-ending trigger. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And it's totally fine because you may actually 
lose well you may end the game intentionally by killing your last character because you're ahead in points so there's definitely some strategy there of when you want to just jump into the mouth of the worm but you get your victory points by dropping off the eggs in the various locations and from there you get rewarded for dropping off eggs is it possible to have everybody die at once with their down to their last characters. And I can see this because, because what Sarah explain what happens if the worm comes from the ground and wants to hurt people. So every turn you're going to be placing distraction cards on one of the three worms that are available. Those cards are going to move the worm in one of four directions. Then when the worm has enough cards on it, it's going to activate. And depending on where it's ended up, that's where it's going to burst out of the ground and roar up and flail things around. And you see what that worm cards info says before all this happens. So you know it's going to create this pattern of destruction. If anybody gets stuck in it, they're going to have to fight it or die. You know it's going to be worth so many points. You know it takes so many cards to activate. All that information is known. With a few exceptions, it should not be a surprise to you. If it does explode out of the ground into an area that's going to hit you, then you have a chance to hunt the worm before it deals damage to you. So what that means is you're going to take any item cards in your hand and they might let you roll dice, they might let you discard cards directly to deal damage. There's lots of stuff that those item cards do. And once you have dealt all the damage or done all the things you can do with your items, then the worm is going to attack you. If you can't get out of the way or you take too many points of health, then you die and you just move on to your next character. But if everybody gets hit, everybody can participate in the battle against the worm. And Marty, I think this is where people may not realize there's the the cooperative nature of this game. Sort of, but only one person is going to get points for killing the worm. And there are bounties out on particular worms as well. They may not match the one that you're fighting at this time, but if they do, they're worth a ton of points. And remember, the main goal is to get to 20 points. So if you are the person to do the last damage to the worm, you're going to kill it. But maybe you just want to survive through that turn. So there could be situations where you're cooperating. Most of the time, that's not true. And the combat's all done through uh, dice rolls, but it looks like you can modify your dice rolls by having weapons and everything in play. Yes, yeah. So most of the time, you're going to be rolling dice or adding uh, points of damage based on the cards that you have drawn and picked up through uh, getting different stuff on the board. So every time that worm rears its ugly head it's going to throw rubble around when you collect enough of that rubble then you get to draw cards off of the item decks you'll also get to draw cards by going to various buildings that are on the board places where you'd be delivering eggs so that type of movement around the board is really important you want to go and collect things drop them off get weapons get items depending on the building that you go to, you're going to get different things. So you do have to plan out your strategy that way as well. And I will say on the Kickstarter page, you have this nice section, how to play, which walks you through each of the steps on your turn. And it's really straightforward. It's one of those things that looks like in a matter of just a few minutes, you could teach this game and be up and running. That's so true. I think that there is a beautiful simplicity to this game and that most of the fun part of it is going to be in the campiness of the game itself and in the special things that your cards do. It reminds me so much of the experience I had the first time playing Clank, actually, where Clank is an incredibly simple 
game. You can explain it in a few minutes, but when you start playing it, you get these cards that do different things. You have this player interaction. Everybody's sitting around the table laughing. Ridiculous things happen. You're blowing each other up. You're jumping over things with your vehicles. It just gets so silly and fun. And that type of uh, interaction I think it's really hard to get from watching a playthrough video or from reading through a rule book. You just have to experience it yourself. And I'm seeing we're manipulating the worms to get them to move and do the rubble because the rubble, you can't move through rubble, right? Right. Yeah. You, it does slow you down. You have to take actions to get it out of your way. Which is very important because from that standpoint, you can block other players from going to get eggs or get to locations to where they might be attacked and drop whatever they're carrying. So that there's a lot of strategy in that, how to move that worm, how to get the distractions to position that worm appropriately. It certainly can slow you down. One thing that I found absolutely fabulous the last time I played this is that we played on the uh, other side of the board, so the new side and it has this thing in the middle of it called the canyon and when you're playing on the canyon side you can use a ramp or you can just decide that you're going to use the ramp action to jump all the way across the canyon but it's a push your luck thing because you may not have uh, the right things you need to be able to make it all the way over the canyon. You roll the dice. If you don't get the right roll, you crash into the canyon. You're in the crevasse. You die and you have to go on to your next character. So that is one of those uh, push your luck things where it's so much fun. Everybody is excited. You roll those dice. And when you realize that you've fallen into the cav cavern, into the crevasse, it's just hilarious. But sometimes it works. And then you get past all that rubble. You grab the egg and you run to the end and it's it's all set. Renegade releases a lot of games throughout the year, and typically they're just straight to retail. So why is this one on Kickstarter? One really important thing for us is that we wanted to really reach the community of this game, people who are excited about it, people who are just fans of Renegade. We've done lots of things to try and reach those people going to conventions. We have newsletters, we have Facebook groups, all this stuff. But at some point, we just had to realize that there are a lot of people who only go to Kickstarter. They're not going to go to Gen Con every year. They don't have a friendly local game store to go and find out about us. So doing a Kickstarter was a really great way to connect with them. The other thing that's special about Terra Below is that it has a lot more artwork, a lot more special stuff going on inside the box that would be hard to show off just in a little 12 by 12 square on the back of a box that you may never even see. So to give this the chance to get to the widest audience possible and show people really what is going on with this game, we thought Kickstarter just made the most sense. But honestly, it's a bit of an experiment. We'd love to hear what people think about that. And so Marty, you're, since you're on the page, is there a retailer option? Is it going to be able to go? Are you going to get it to um, miniaturemarket.com, one of the sponsors of Rolling Dice and Taking Names? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing about the Kickstarter is that if you back it during the Kickstarter, you get the hidden cash for free. But if you just want to buy it after the Kickstarter, it's going to be the same price. You just don't get that extra stuff. So if you're a retailer and you really want to back it at the retailer level during the Kickstarter, you also get the free hidden cash upgrades. So either way, whatever you want to do, we have lots of options for lots of different people. I also own a retail store, so we really care about making sure that our retailers have a chance to participate in things like our Kickstarters. 
And that's just a really important thing to us. So we've made it very retailer friendly. And when will this be uh, delivered? We are looking at August for this one. For Gen Con. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. So typically, you know, Tony and I is with Kickstarters, right? Oh, Kickstarter, when's it going to be delivered? A year and a half from now. <laughs> Not so with this one. So Kickstarter's out in February. And uh, I think you actually got a pickup option at Gen Con, right? Yeah, we do. So you can pick it up at Gen Con um, and... We're going to have all sorts of fun stuff going on at Gen Con for Terror Below. Make sure that you check out the event schedule. If you're going to be at Gen Con, please come and see us. It's going to be a party. And we'll have lots of ridiculous Terror Below stuff happening. Well, I came to see you last year, but I got blown off. Okay. Oh, no. Let it go, Marty. Let it go. <laughs> I'm going to give you a VIP pass to Danny's <laughs> schedule, and then she has to meet with you at the I'm right kidding. time. <laughs> I'm so kidding. I would, I would rather, I would rather make sure as we work out the details that Danny shows up at the um, RDTM meetup at the strike tournament. Yes. Ooh, right. I like that idea. That sounds like a lot okay, of fun. Okay, so yeah, we'll we'll yes. figure that out. We'll make that happen. Thirty-seven worm cards are in the component list and in the instructions. Now, are there a lot of repeats? Is there an individual? Because that's one thing I always look at about as far as replayability, strategy, how those things are going to come out on the board because three are placed out on the board. Are they all different? So all of them are going to have slight differences. So for example, I'm looking at two different Screamer cards right now. So they're going to be the same health and the same uh, value for how many cards you need to have on them before they're going to attack. But they're going to have different areas where they are dealing damage, where they're going to put that rubble. And uh, they're going to start in different locations on the board. So that's really important because we went through all of the, the worm cards and made sure that they're really equally spread all throughout the board so that you are not going to be able to hang out in the northwest corner and never get attacked by a worm. So we've we've laid all those numbers out and made sure they're good. And there are a bunch of different types of worms that do slight variations on things. So for example, one of them might just deal damage in a straight line. A different type of worm is maybe going to deal damage in a square all the way around it. And there's a whole bunch of different patterns that they make, but each pattern is one type of worm. Because if you go back to the story of Terror Below, you're going to know notice that these are actually experimental worms that have been crossbred together. And so they're going to be a genetic variant of the original worm that they worked with. And that's why every boomer is going to do the same type of attack because that's that particular crossbreed. Now, Sarah, you, you do realize that the theme of this is very similar to a Kevin Bacon movie that came out years ago called Tremors, right? Okay, I maybe have heard this before, but I have not seen the movie. <laughs> go so, look up Tremors and you're going to go, oh my gosh, that's exactly the game that we're selling right now. Well, there may be similarities. We actually do have a pretty intense backstory that was um, written by Banana Chan. I don't know if you know her or not, but she has made this awesome story for us and we're going to be posting bits of that on the Kickstarter as we go so that you will see exactly what Terror Below is all about and how it is nothing like any movie you've seen before with some minor, minor similarities. I still think along with our lawnmower promo card, there should be like a Kevin Bacon card too. Just saying. <laughs> we will take that into consideration. <laughs> that means no! <laughs> <laughs> so 
having a marketing person on your show. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, out of the 16 character cards, I mean, there's Homemaker Rebecca, but I could see Footloose Kevin, you know? <laughs> Loose Kevin. I'm so I thinking. have actually seen that movie, strangely. Oh, yeah. Tony, we got to remember, she's way younger than us. So. <laughs> no, I just haven't seen many movies. It's just not my thing. Well, well you're out in Montana. Why not? <laughs> what else are you going to do in minus two degree weather? You're not mowing the yard. That's true. We're not mowing the yard. That's a good point. No, we go hiking most of the time. We oh. did not go hiking this weekend because it was blowing wind like crazy and it was really cold and our dog didn't want to go outside. So we just stay home this weekend, but usually we're hiking. <laughs> uh, I don't blame that dog. Mm-mm. Yep. <laughs> As we wrap this thing up, when is the uh, closing date uh, for the Kickstarter? You ask such hard questions. Jeez. It is February 27th. February 27th. So this comes out the middle of February. So you've got a couple weeks to go check this out. Again, the Kickstarter page is fabulous. They have videos showing how the game is played. You can see a lot of the artwork. There's some, um, uh, Tony and I <clears throat> are seeing an early copy of the Kickstarter page and they're going to start having all these really cool stretch goals. So you definitely want to uh, keep an eye out uh, for those. Again, that is Terror Below and it is uh, $45. Uh, you get that as a Gen Con pickup, or it makes, and if you also get the Kickstarter, you get all the special stuff that's included in the Kickstarter. Did I get all that right, Sarah? Yay, good job. Is there anything else? We just had Stephen Bonacore on the show. Is there anything else you would like to pitch? We will allow you to pitch. Now, we had to tell him no, but oh. but, but is there any, any nuggets or rubble you want to drop on us? Yeah, juicy nuggets that maybe uh, nobody else knows. Nobody else listens to this show, so you can tell us what oh. you want. <laughs> I can tell you all the secrets. So if you are still trying to figure out something to do for Valentine's Day, I would want to let you know that Kitty Pop Valentine's Day Edition is out in retail stores now. So you can go and pick that up instead of giving chocolates or teddy bear or whatever. Give somebody a game. That's what it's all about, right? That's it. Play a game. So there you go. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, other than that, though, if it's after Valentine's Day, Kitty Paw is still cute. But we have some really cool stuff coming out this month, like Reichholt. It's an Uwe Rosenberg game. So if you love Agricola, uh, Cottage Garden, Cave versus Cave, any of those wonderful titles, he has a huge long list of them. This is his latest game to come out in the U.S., so we're pretty excited about that. Do you have any big announcements for Gen Con that you've already released or would like to go ahead? Oh, you know, we might have to wait on the Gen Con big releases. <laughs> you almost got me. It was so close. How about how about three moon pies? Ooh. <laughs> Are they Sweet banana the or chocolate? Oh, Lord. You wouldn't want banana, would you? <gasps> Banana's the Nope, no Gen Con secret. Sorry. I can I can have Amazon right now. Alexa, Sarah. <laughs> order Sarah some banana moon pies. <laughs> nice, nice. Speaking of games, before we let you go, we have a game that we want you to play that we play with all of our first time guests, and this game is called Rankem. <laughs> What we're going to do, Sarah, is we're going to give you three items. You're going to rank those in any order that you want, and you can tell us why you rank them that way. For example, we may say chocolate, strawberry, vanilla, and you can tell us banana. why you rank them in a certain way. <laughs> banana. Okay, if you want banana, that's fine, <laughs> fine too. 
<laughs> Sarah, do you understand the rules of this game? Yes, I do. Let's do it. Tony, kick us off. In keeping with our discussion, please rank the following. Gummy worms, Sour Patch worms, or Cadbury eggs? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Wait a minute. Two worms Ooh. and one egg? That's got... Oh, the egg. I get it. Uh, were you not listening and eggs that's so good okay the best of those is clearly the sour patch uh sour patch worms those Mm. are my favorite i love sour stuff and then i have to go with the cadbury eggs because i also like chocolate and then the regular gummy worms because those are just boring but and we've already got good worms going on there you go, Marty. Uh, I will have to go also with the Sour Patch. I love those things. I'm addicted to them. I'm actually going to have to put the gummy worms next because the Cadbury eggs are so rich. Like after one bite, I can't even eat anymore. I will give you that. It takes a while to get through them. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a trifecta. Sour Patch worms for me as well. Followed by Ooh. followed by gummy worms. I love if it had been bears, they would have been a tough choice for me, but I went with worms. Gummy bears are better. <laughs> Boozy bears are definitely oh, I didn't say that. This is a family oriented show. And <laughs> stop, stop. Boozy bear? What is that? Sarah, explain to him what boozy bears are. <gasps> I don't drink. I have no idea. I, I don't either. Something, something involving alcohol and gummy bears. But my attempts to make candy have always failed. So I don't know how you do that. So, so boozy bears, it was a big thing in high school where um, people were soaking the bears. And I believe it was gin or whatever. An al- there's an alcohol that's uh, odorless. And I don't know what it is. And they would soak up and they would carry gummy bears into school and share them. <laughs> Wow. I'm not kidding. Oh, kids are amazing. (laughs) All right, Marty, what's your question? All right, here we go. Bacon, sausage, ham. Those are all things made out of pork. (laughs) What's funny is if she's a vegetarian. I am not a vegetarian because I think I'd be kicked out of my house because my husband is a, a cattle rancher. That's how he grew up. Um, So I almost never, ever eat pork. But... Man, those are hard. It was oh, all these awful things. So bacon, sausage, sausage, and- ham. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, I don't eat any of those. <laughs> what, Sarah? Remember, it can be you can rank them, however, not by how you like them, how you most detest them, how you oh, how the oh, location okay. on the pig. It's however you would like to rank them. Okay, okay, I could be down with that. So. We'll go with ham being that I would probably feed my dog because she's allergic to almost everything except for pork, strangely. So I would feed her ham and then I would feed her bacon because I've Mm. never done that before and I think she would be excited about that. And then sausage because that sounds messy. (laughs) So there you go. That's what I would do. I would probably not eat any of them. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with how I would top a pizza if I only had one ah. ingredient from these things. And it would definitely go. Bacon would be the first thing on the pizza if I could only have one topping. Mm-hmm. And then I would go with sausage. And then I would go with ham, but make me happy and put all three on them. But that is my ranking. The ultimate meat lover's pizza right there. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And for me, it's going to be based on ranking of Bojangles biscuits. 
starting with salsa. Oh, she's had a funny look at me. So there is a fast food restaurant here in the South. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I said, everybody, Sarah had this like, what the heck did you just say? It's called, it's called Bojangles. So it is a Southern fast food restaurant here known for chicken and biscuits. And Ooh, uh, they, okay. they make homemade biscuits and they're, they're really famous for the biscuits. So they have different types of breakfast, breakfast biscuits. So ranking based on my favorite from there, sausage biscuit, ham biscuit, bacon biscuit. Oh, you might get me to eat those if they were on a biscuit. I love oh. Southern biscuits. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So anytime you're in the Southeast, near, we're going to get you a boat. Tony, put that on the list. We got to get Sarah a Bojangles biscuit somehow. Well, consider it <laughs> Consider it done. We can make that happen or better yet. We'll take her away from the booth at Gen Con and take her over to Maxine's for some chicken and waffles too. Ooh, I love chicken and waffles. Yeah. There you go. That sounds mm. good. So, and just so you know, Bojangles is the official headquarters of Rolling Dice and Taking Names uh, monthly planning meeting for, that's, that's where we go. Nice. To, Nice. Yeah, so, I mean we're we're simple people around here. What can I say? <laughs> That's true. Simple tons, but yeah, oh, whatever. All right. So my second question is: Explorer in space, explorer underwater, explorer in a tomb. Hmm. <gasps> oh man! I see what you did there, Thank Tommy. You. I get the theme. I get the theme. Those are so good. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. We're gonna clink it up. <laughs> Okay, okay. I'm going to rank these from places where I would most likely fall over and make noise. So, ah, good call. Space is obviously the least likely because I think it'd be hard to make noise in space from what I understand. Then, water. Obviously, that's also hard to make noise down there, but you can do it. And then, in the tomb. I'm just going to be crashing all over the place. It's going to be a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) The mummies are going to find you. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Mine's going to be on, uh, based on movies, based on exploring in these areas. So first I'll go with tombs with like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love that movie. And, and then we'll go, let's go out into space and guys, there's tons of movies about based of exploration out in space. And then finally underwater with maybe something like the abyss or something like that. So there you go. So tomb, space, water. And mine are going to be a little bit more uh, morbid. These are the places where I would least mind dying. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wait a minute. Least, least mind dying. Yeah, okay. because think explorers, what's going to happen in these areas? Generally, something bad happens, right? So especially if you make noise. Okay. So for okay. me, I think I would least mind dying underwater, exploring underwater, because it just seems... Whoa, whoa. I don't know. Suffocating? Drowning? I don't know if drowning is a fun way to go. People say it's like falling asleep. I don't... Yeah. How do, okay, hold on. Stop. Mm. How do you know it's like falling asleep? Because people come back. People come back. Right? Okay. You know, I don't know these things. I've never experienced it. I'm not going to try it. I don't want to try it. <laughs> But I think that's, yeah. Now, versus where I think being crushed by a stone in a tomb, as sudden as it is, or being locked away and then being buried alive. Oh, don't like that. Yeah. And then in space, space is cold and lonely and you're just Mm. floating and oh, and just the whole idea of of what could happen out in space if you were to die out there. Think about Iron Man and the new Avengers that's coming out. Think about George Clooney and Gravity. He did that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yep, yep. So, so that's how I rank, rank those. And for the final question, here we go. Because of the month and the holiday, roses 
chocolate gems. Gems? Like rubies or something? G-E-M-S, yes. Uh, do we need to do get out the Southern explanation for you? There? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Southern dialect. Uh. I need subtitles on our Google yeah. Hangout. Jim, like you could go work out. Roses, chocolate, go work out. No. Or, or, or Jim, as in, as in J-I-M, Jim. You know? yeah. <laughs> I want roses, chocolate, or Jim, because Jim's real. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I didn't so realize there were so many homonyms here. Sorry about that. These are things I would least like to find at the bottom of my closet next year when it's Valentine's Day again. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with roses being the least, chocolates, and then gems. I'll find gems anytime. That's fine. My dad was a geologist, so I'm good with that. Oh, wow. Cool. That's cool. So did he take you out exploring? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. We definitely went on some cool hikes looking for garnets. I grew up in Idaho, so we found we'd just go out to a particular place and look for gardens. That's fun. For me is what I would probably want to eat, and I'm going to go with chocolates. And then I'll sure. go with roses, and I'm thinking the gems might help me digest later in life and might hurt later, <laughs> but I'm going to make that as third. <laughs> it's probably a good choice. <laughs> well, well, since my wife is going to be doing a segment on the show and may listen to this, I'll say things that she would probably like to get uh, for Valentine's Day, definitely gems at the top, way, way mm-hmm, at the top, mm-hmm. followed by... Chocolate and then uh, roses. Oh, well, it sounds like you know her well. That's good. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've I've known him for that many years, and I know Vanessa too. She's going to want some gems out of the boy. She he better come through. Oh no! <laughs> Demanding. <laughs> now, Sarah, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you watch any Hallmark movies? What would be an example of a Hallmark movie? A Hallmark movie would be these two people fall in love and then have a misunderstanding and then fall out of love. You don't watch Hallmark movies at all. I really do. Hallmark Channel. She doesn't watch TV, Tony. It's falling on deaf ears. Wow. Oh, no. Oh, romance, rom-com movies. I can't remember one of those that I've watched. Nope. Probably sometime, maybe. You want to continue asking your question or not? Hmm? Hmm? Well, (laughs) we'll make it work. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, I know it'll work because I'm trying to get him because he was lucky enough, Marty, that he went and got to see a set of a Hallmark movie that was being shot in our nearby town, and he got to see uh, Chenoweth. Kristen Chenoweth. Chenoweth. She doesn't watch TV, so that fell on her. She has no idea. Maybe Broadway? (laughs) Wicked? Glinda? No? Okay, this is this is great. All right. Yay. <laughs> hey, where's Danny? Is Danny around? Maybe she watches TV. Danny would be so much more excited. I'm sorry. Oh man, I'm you kidding. can trade me out later. No, no, no. We never no. trade you. You would actually keep a meeting with us. I'm still bitter. <laughs> Apparently. Man, I, I am so glad I didn't ask her any questions about movies or anything. That would have been really bad. <laughs> wow. I watched some movies, just none that happened before 1998. Zero, except for Raiders of the Lost Ark, apparently. But Tony, she can hold her own and talk about lawnmowers. A lot of our yeah. guests can't. Oh, yeah. So we can talk about lawnmowers or any farm equipment, really. We can go there. <laughs> Do you get to drive a tractor around the lot? We had that discussion yesterday, too. Man, it's like you were eavesdropping on me or something. We were talking about whether or not we could rent a tractor that we could then drive around our lot. But we had this D&D game once where one of us was trying to rent a horse and there were no rules anywhere for renting 
horses, and this caused lots of consternation in our group. So we were wondering if we would have the same problem trying to rent a tractor. Okay, would you Skype with us on a Lord of the Rings D and D RPG adventure? Sure, let's do it. That's out of the blue. <laughs> well, she's she, uh, how? What do you mean out of blue? She dropped it that she played D and D. How could I not take a leap of faith, ramp, use a ramp to jump the canyon, <laughs> thank you very much, and see if she would do that? Roll those dice. You might as well. We're hey, and I'm show. going to take some names, by gosh, because no one else around here will play an RPG with me. They all, oh, oh, stop it. We've been trying to play this for two years, Sarah. Two years. I've had books for the Lord of the Rings RPG for two years, and we've yet to play. And it's always, somehow it's always my fault, but Tony's <laughs> the one with the hardest schedule to meet. Have you, do you know Paul? Alexander Butler. He's a designer of Overlight. He owns a store in Baltimore and he also works for um, the company that made the Lord of the Rings RPG. Cubicle 7. Cubicle 7, yeah. He also does some contract work for them. Oh, nice. He is an excellent DM. He ran a game of Overlight for us and it was so much fun. So if you if you ever meet him, you should harass him to play Lord of the Rings RPG with you. Well, when we're at Gen Con and you're at the booth, maybe you can walk us over there and do a little introduction. We, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, he'll be doing signings at our booth. You should come say hi. There you go. There's a dozen moon pies right there. <laughs> I'm racking them in. Yes. And we'll even get you banana because they're not bought around here at all. I can get you like those wholesale. <laughs> all right. So Sarah, where is uh, Renegade Games going to be over the next couple of months? I know you got some conventions coming up. Where can people find you if they're going out to different conventions? Oh, I'm so excited. We're going to be at PAX East for the first time ever this year. So we're going to Boston. We're going to be there at the end of March, very last weekend. Um, and then we are going to be at, uh, well, we'll have a couple industry shows in between there, Gamma and ACD Open House. And then the next one that we're doing is another new show we've never done, which is the UK Games Expo. Wow. All of our friends across the pond, we get to go and hang out with them for a week. Usually we do Essen, which is awesome, but we're going to add another European show to our schedule for the year. So we'll be there at the end of May and then on to Origins in Columbus, Ohio in June. And that gets us to the middle of the summer. We won't have a booth at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, but we'll be floating around. We have lots of partners doing stuff there. Power Rangers, T-Dragon Society, Scott Pilgrim, all sorts of things for that show. And then Gen Con. And then we could go on for a while. We have tons of shows to go to this year. Wow, that's amazing. And if people want to find out more about Renegade Games, how can they do so? You can find us on Facebook at Renegade Games. You can find us on Twitter at Play Renegade, on Instagram, Renegade Game Studios, and um, also on our website at RenegadeGames.com. Sarah, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show i can't believe it's taken us this long to get you on here but this this has been a blast this was great thank you guys so much for having me i had a blast all right thanks again sarah and we'll see you real soon with banana moon pies all right yay (laughs) thank you have fun see you later well we've talked about the drop drop still going on over at the miniaturemarket.com matter of fact marty and i were playing the drop we were getting ready to get us some dice masters warhammer 40k we went there and we said yes today is the day we are going to buy that and we were so wrong it was out of stock that's right you play the game you can win the game or you can lose the game well that's obvious but we lost roll the dice take the chance can you save a little bit more money 
But if there is something that you are looking for, I always check the daily updates and see if things have come back in. But you don't have to do that every day. You don't have to be like me trying to kill time by looking at the daily updates. What you can do is click on that little bell next to the product that is out of stock and sign up for a restocking alert. That's right. Miniature Market's got you covered for that game that's hard to find that's been out of stock for a while. Go ahead and sign up for a restocking alert. Go check it out at theminiaturemarket.com. I don't know if you know this, but our good friend Ignacy held this big 20th birthday party for Portal. Over there. I know it. You know, I know you know it. Over there, they had a cake. They had cookies. They probably had some ice cream. They probably went out and played in the snow, but they were celebrating all of Portal's wonderfulness. So that's a word, wonderfulness. Anyway, they announced a bunch of stuff, and Marty, in his ultimate dedication to this fine show that we have here, <laughs> he decided that he was going to stream along with it and provide commentary. Mm-hmm. So Marty gets ready to go, 9.45, he's logged in, I'm ready there, I'm waiting, I'm texting him saying, are we going to do this, are we going to do this? And because Friday night I got busy and forgot to get on and try to try it out, but that's besides the point, we're not even going to bring up that issue. Well, no, I think we should, because otherwise it wouldn't have had a problem. Instead, you come in and right before we go live and say, okay, add me. Texting you, 9.30, are we going to do this? man crickets i'm like oh okay maybe he's waiting to get online here in about 15 minutes i go on i look at his link oh crap he's going on here now i'll just sit here and comment with the people (laughs) (laughs) and thanks for all those people that did get on to watch that was actually fun uh sitting there and watching uh uh, rodney's where did that come from unbelievable watching ignacy's keynote for the day where he's announcing all these games that are going to be coming out in 2019 and we were reacting to it and chatting to it. And Tony, he's got a lot of games coming out this year that I just can't wait to talk about. Well, he's got two that are coming out that should have been out in 2018. Yes. We'll get to those. Okay. We'll get to those. I'm just saying. So yes, some big announcements. He has gone all techno on us. That is so cool. I, that was mm-hmm. that was exciting when he was showing that. I'm like, oh, that's the way to do it. People are like, what are you talking about? Okay, let's stop teasing. Let's get into it. All right. So first, what's the first thing that you want to talk about? Let's talk about Imperial Settlers Big Box. Now, this year is the fifth anniversary for Imperial Settlers, and this is the game that Tony, you and I were basically introduced to Ignacy through. We were at BGG Con, and we went and talked to him, and he said, I would like to teach you guys this game. He said, you guys are idiots. And we said, will you sponsor our show? And he went, I guess. And it's been uh, that kind of relationship ever since then. Aside from that, the big box. You can get it all (laughs) in the big box, right? You can put it all in the box, and you get new player boards. Of course, everybody has a big box. Carcassonne has a big box. So guess what? Mm -hmm. Imperial Settler's been around. He's put out enough expansions. Ignacy can release the big box. The big box, which has all of the expansions, a nice dedicated plastic insert to store them all in one place. It includes some single-piece alternative faction boards for the Amazons, Atlantean, and Aztecs. So the ISBB, as we're calling it here in the biz. <laughs> in the biz. ISBB? Okay. <laughs> so if if you haven't dipped the toe in Imperial Settlers. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. If it's a big box, does that mean the cards are bigger and the fonts are bigger? <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> that would have been a featured part of the keynote if that had been the case. This is the way to get started in Imperial Settlers. Great game. Enjoy that game. But you know, Marty, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
But then he's getting into the thing everybody's doing, which is okay. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. And that is an Imperial Settlers rolling right game. That's not what it is. That's what it's called. It's like the best name ever. Mm -hmm. You know the theme and you know what it is. It's called Imperial Settlers rolling right. It's like that leaves nothing to the imagination. The game is heavily focused on an engine building. Imagine that. Constructing buildings will grant you special bonuses. And I can keep reading on from the keynotes, but I'm not going to. <laughs> well, no, that's what I'm excited about, too, because I love the engine building mechanic of your Imperial Settlers. And if you can pull that into a roll and write game, then I can't wait to, to see how this works. And he's including two modes. There's a standard mode, which is a competitive mode, but he's also including a solo mode called the adventure mode. So now there's going to be two ways to play, which is, I think is a fantastic idea, too. Just take my money. I know. I love my rolling right. Oh, I think it's going to be released at the UK Games Expo, mm -hmm. and hopefully it will also be at Origins, because that's when I want to get my hands on it. And I love the art of Imperial Settlers. And if you haven't uh, checked out the art for some of these box covers, make sure to go out to portalgames.pl slash en, where he has a game announcements news thing, and he, break, he has each of the covers of the boxes. I love the art on the rolling right. The top half's kind of like penciled in, and the bottom half is colored. Looks great. But Tony... What? That's not the only game that he's releasing in the Imperial Settlers universe. It looks like his big Gen Con game is going to be Imperial Settlers Empires of the North. That's right. It's a 4X game. Is it? I don't know. It's not a 4X game. No, it's not a 4X game. Wouldn't that be cool, though? No, what we need is a Civ game based on Imperial Settlers, like a full Civ game. Ooh, interesting. Anyway, so this is a complete new standalone game. It's not like a new faction or anything for Imperial Settlers. It just happens to take place in, in the new universe. And you're still going to have the concept of you have cards that you're going to be able to build buildings and everything. I asked Ignacy, what else is there beside it? He said, well, there's one extra mechanic, and I don't want to really get into what that mechanic is. But he said, it's not a, it's not an exact copy. If you know Imperial Settlers, it's going to feel familiar but there's something else added to it. So I asked him, so does that mean it's probably a little more heavy, a little more complex? He said, well, when you have throwing an extra decision to make, he said, yeah, I would consider that just a tad more complex. So maybe it's a little bit heavier than Imperial Settlers. So I can't wait to see what this is either. And he'll probably be teasing out uh, how this game is going to play over the next several months. That wasn't the game that got my attention. Uh-oh. Then what was? Because there's a lot of games that got my attention on this. He's always been denying it. He said he's not going to do it. What is the term where it's, it's a grail game that you always want? That's it. You're, you're looking for that grail game. That's the term, grail game. That's it. Preda Porter. He is doing mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. We've heard so much about it. You got to get it. You got to see if it lives up to the hype that has existed in the past. But I'm kind of excited about this thing. Oh, heck yeah. I'm excited. So, you know, for years... We've been asking, uh, you know, people's been saying, are you going to do a Preda Porter re-release? And he said, no. He said, if I do it, I'm going to take the existing game engine and probably make a new theme. And all along, he's been teasing it was going to be a video game theme, meaning it was going to be like a video game publisher. And now they put a game together and sell it. Well, he's decided along the way, he and his team talked about it and stuff. And they were like, you know what? People already know Preda Porter. And they already know what the theme is. Instead of like retheming and coming out with something new, let's just release a brand new version of it. It's a great idea because people already know what it is. 
It's, they can claim it's the third edition, and it'll probably get more eyes on it because if they had if he had rethemed it, then people might not have put two and two together right. and realize, oh, it's the same engine with a new theme. Exactly. The fashion world being a magnet. Okay, raise your hand if The Devil Wears Prada is not one of your favorite movies. I've never seen Devil Wears Prada. You're dead to me. <laughs> really? You've never seen Devil? Oh my God. I have never seen. I, I admit that's one of those that I, pro- I have. I need to see, but I have never seen uh, Devil Wears Prada. This is it. This game is going, it's going to bring it to life for me. I'm, I'm excited about this. <laughs> and this game was like, it's all these, all these awards he's got listed here in the notes. It was nominated for Polish Game of the Year in 2011. Um, it was the best board game at Origins Award. Uh, and here's the thing, Tony. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this. The artist for this game is, I'm going to mess up this person's name, Quan Chai Mar- Maria Maria. He's the artist that's done games like uh, Dinosaur Island Flip Ships. But what I really know him for is the Overlight RPG from Renegade Games. If anybody's ever seen the art for Overlight, how colorful and bright it is, that's what the the box of this game looks like. And I think the art's going to be absolutely amazing because he's doing this. Go ahead. Once again, space out these Kickstarters so that Mm -hmm. I and my wallet is not hurting. I know that from Ignacy's standpoint in Kickstarters and things like that, how long do I have to wait, right? Right, exactly. I believe the Kickstarter is the later part of this year from what I understand. And people are probably wondering why Kickstarter? So we asked Ignacy that too. He said a couple reasons. One is this is a heavy Euro. I'm not talking like an Imperial Settlers. He said, this is a heavy, crunchy Euro. Heavy Euros kind of have a niche market. And you remember how uh, Bonacore in the last episode said, it's hard to gauge the demand for a game. You just don't know. So what's a safe thing to do? If you bring it to Kickstarter, you can see exactly what the demand is. You meet that demand, and then that's it. So it's it's very low risk. If people want it, then he'll set the goal to a point to where he knows he needs to meet that goal. But then after that, it's not like he's ordering a bunch to throw in the distribution that may never get sold. So he knows this is kind of, off the pace of a typical portal game right now. So he's like, fine, we're going to go to Kickstarter with this thing. If people want it from the past, it's here. Whether you like the theme or not or whatever, he said, heavy Euro gamers really don't care about the theme. And it's true. Heavy Euro games, we use typically, once we start playing, we forget the theme altogether. But because it's kind of a niche market, Kickstarter is the way to go. And I totally agree with him. As long as I can get out and get to the table, the expansions for two of my favorite games. Oh, yeah. Monolith Arena. Coming out with Academics? Yes, Army Pack. How about Academics? I like Academics better. Amazon. Exactly. And of course, Nirishima Hex. You've got the Sand Runners. So both of those scheduled for 2019. There's no hidden things here that I enjoy. Both of those games. I talk about them. I've posted it on favorite. There's no hidden things here. Yeah, that didn't come out right. I was was sending things. There's... (laughs) There's no secrets here. There's no secret. <laughs> hey, y'all, there's nothing here that's hidden. There's nothing. It's not. I want I'm, these I, games. It's on the table. <laughs> I like these games. Man, why are we recording tonight? I am just having, I don't, I am having I don't a rough know. time. But man, the box art for academics, oh, the yeah. art of those units, that is so flipping cool. And people are like, guys, it's a podcast. We can't see it. I know, but you can go out to portalgames.pl slash and you can look this, this stuff up. And it's really cool to see that even though Nirishima Hex has been out for years, 
he's still releasing expansions for it. So it's got a long life. I think Monolith Arena's got a long life. Two solid games, two of our favorite games ever. And matter of fact, would you please put our copy of Monolith Arena in the car so we can take it to Tantrum Con? Done. Okay. Done, done, done. Oh, I, you and I are gonna play some two player monolith. Yeah, I need to I need to pick up my copy of that just so I can have have both of them. You know, we played it for a while now. I, I haven't gotten a chance to play it because it's over at the house, over in the in the RDTN library, and I, I need to get that back to the table. Very excited for that. Yeah. Now, here's something I know you were excited about when you first heard about it with your old Mohawk self. Detective. <laughs> yeah. L.A. <Go> Crimes. <laughs> and here's where, hold on, let's have some cheesy 80s theme music right here. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So who, this one is not... A new announcement. He has already announced that this was uh, coming last year. L.A. Crimes is going to be coming out pretty quick. Three new cases, five new characters based in the 80s. Uh, This will be out pretty soon, and I can't wait to see how this game plays. And speaking of Detective, so Tony, you teased it earlier about uh, some uh, using technology, and that's exactly what they're going to do with Detective. There's going to be an Alexa skill such that there's going to be a standalone case that's narrated and handled by an Amazon Alexa. It's case six, and you'll sit down with your friends around an Alexa, and using voice commands and the integrated app, she'll tell you the story. I hope she does a better job than what she did tonight when I was doing the pork butt in the old crock pot. Alexa, what's the internal temperature of a pork butt supposed to be to know so I don't get sick? I don't know that. <laughs> Come on, you don't mean you don't know that. You don't know that. Google, what's the internal temperature of a pork butt? Well, sure, that's one one ninety. Come on, Alexa, get your game up. So yeah, this the whole thing is this supposed to be like a radio drama, almost like you're sitting around our radio and hearing a story. You can ask Alexa questions about the case, and she'll answer it. So what a fantastic idea! But that's not the only thing, Tony. Also, during the keynote, they had an example of them playing Monolith Arena. Oh, yeah. And a question came up for one of the units, and they asked Alexa, like, how does this unit work in Monolith Arena? And she told you the rules. How flipping cool is that? That's pretty darn cool. She can't tell you the internal temperature of a pork butt, but she can tell you the (laughs) rules of a monolith. Yes, I'm very excited for that. I think that's the way to go. When you, yep. when you start integrating with those devices and you're able to an- ask those questions, how do you do this? And it's, if, if the, many of the developers do this. Oh, shoot. Are you kidding me? This is, to me personally, I think this is trailblazing. Yeah. If other publishers don't see this going on and, and doesn't duplicate this, they're crazy. Because how cool would it be at any time uh, when a new fact for a game comes out, if you can go to Alexa and go, Alexa, what's the ruling on this particular thing on how you do this? And she can read it back to you. Holy crap, that'll be amazing. And along those lines, I'll be out without a job. Why will you be out without a job? Well, because Rodney will be out. He'll come and replace me. And then I won't be part of RDTN anymore. <laughs> well, it's not going to be a full tutorial type oh, skill type thing. Oh. It's just, it's just it's just kind of a quick rules thing. But seriously, I hope other publishers follow suit. And I think it's really uh, cool that Ignacium Portal has the lead on this. I can't wait to see uh, what they do with it. This is pretty neat too. Also, staying in the detective series. They're going to have a signature series where they're going to get famous designers, board game designers, 
to write cases for Detective. And the first two is going to be our good buddy Rob Davio is going to be doing a case. And also Mike Sullinger is going to be doing cases that's later on. Now, Tony, when we were with Rob a couple of weeks ago here in Charlotte, I asked, how's the case going? He said he'd actually worked with it with some friends. He was working with some friends over the weekend, pitching them ideas and stuff. So he's already working on his case. I can't wait to see what he does with it. And then the obvious question is, is it going to be a legacy case? Oh, come on, people, get off it. Rob can do more than legacy. <laughs> Not everything Rob does is a legacy game. That's absolutely right. So PortalCon, huge announcements, but We've left the oh. best for last. Oh, baby. It's finally here. No, it's not. The Kickstarter will be here. We don't know about the game, but we do know Stronghold Undead for 2019. Mm. That's right. Mm. Coming to Kickstarter on May 14th. This is a standalone game, and I think that's really important for people to understand. This is not necessarily an expansion. You don't mm -hmm. need the base game. Buy this game by itself. You can play it. If you go back and listen to episode 83, 83, 83 we're on 164, 63, 64 right now. Way back then, we did our original review of Stronghold 2nd Edition. You can hear how this game plays and how much we've loved it. And ever since then, Tony, now hold on, let me click and see what date that episode was released. That was released in, wow, January 12th, 2016, three years ago. And ever since then, he's been teasing doing a re-release of the expansion, uh, Undead, and it's finally coming to Kickstarter this year. That's because that was the release at BGG Con where he sat down, taught us the game, you and I played it, and then came back. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Good times. We got the uh, box top signed by him. Tony, I think to this day, that's still this is still one of my favorite two-player board games of all time. Yeah, mine too. Love the game. It is 100% asymmetric game. It plays great. I can't, I've never played the original Undead expansion. I can't see, can't wait to see what it does. And this is on Kickstarter too, and it's for the same reason as Preda Porter. There may not be a huge market for this game. So they said, you know what? Let's go to Kickstarter. We'll get it into the hands of the people that really want it. That way we don't have to overproduce or try to predict what the market's going to demand. You want it, you get it. And I'm actually excited, Tony, because typically in Kickstarters, they can bling those things out with stretch goals and just make an ultimate edition, and I'll buy it day one. Okay. I'll, of course, buy mine because i got to have my copy as well. So I'm just gauging the money spent here. Oh, the Alexa app. I'm loving that. I can't wait. And full disclosure... Portal Games is one of our sponsors and has been for years. And so I know people, when we, when we get excited about Portal Games, like whatever, you know, they're your sponsor. You got to say that. It means nothing. I'm still going to say this. This slate of games announced and coming out this year for 2019 is the best and most excited I've been for Portal Games in many, many years. I want every single one of these games. They're different. You've got rolling rights. You've got expansions to current games that we love. You got a re-release of a very popular game from seven or eight years ago uh, with Preda Porter. Uh, you've got you know, taking a universe that we love, Imperial Settlers, adding more games to it. It's a banner year for Portal with it being their 20th anniversary. They've pulled out all the stops and I think it's going to be an amazing year for them. And if you've listened to the show, you know, I'll say anything. I don't care who it is. I'm very excited for this, but Ignacy has always been one of my favorite designers and also the company. I guess they put out the games that, I don't know, that, that 
they just gel with me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm excited as well. Can't wait for them. Can't wait to get them in and, and start playing them. I can't either. And I think probably the first one coming out, I believe, is LA Crimes. So if you haven't, you need to finish up your current detective cases and uh, get on that. And then they'll start coming out from there. I think maybe one of the first ones that'll be in our hands full game will probably be either the Imperial Settlers Big Box or the Rolling Right. And again, you'll be hearing more about these games as they are released. We don't know a lot of the mechanics of some of the new games, especially the uh, Empires of the North. We'll find out along with you. Who knows, Tony? Maybe we'll have Ignacion later on, and he can divulge some more secrets about these games. Everybody who listens to this show knows that I love my train games. Okay, they're not my train games. We had to explain this to Ignacy a while back. Yeah, what he's you're saying, my train yeah, games. Yeah, my train games. Uh, and yeah, he was confused about the word my. It's not necessarily that you possessively no. own them. It's just, yeah. Well, I possessively do own these. They're on my shelf. Well, well that that's true. But my, my train games means in general, you love train games. So Forbidden Games invited us over to the booth, showed us this really cool train game and i was excited and then they started talking to us about this other game that's coming out in 2019 called raccoon tycoon mm-hmm. it was designed by mr drover himself glenn he drops this game out and is talking about commodities and doing things like that and marty and i go "Ooh, commodity game what's this about huh what well you know you got railroads involved you got some commodities and you're going to win by getting some victory points and marty aaron going you had to set commodities i love economic games any i don't know why because it is so dry it is dry when you've got a market and you have a supply and demand and you drive up the price and you drive down the price that sounds so boring to people when you explain it but i love Love those games like Stockpile. I love the game Stockpile. It has the same sort of, you know, stock mechanic. That's what's in this game. So as soon as you told me, Tony, uh, we're going to be getting this, and this is what this game is, I went, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Get it to the table. I'm ready to play. Let's do it. But you say it's dry, driving up and driving down. Oh, but the excitement is there. What are you going to do? How are you going? Are you going to drive that up? I need to collect this. Are you selling? Because if you sell, oh my gosh, don't do this to me. Don't sell that. If you sell that, you're going to kill my game. Oh, I see you over there hoarding some wheat. Oh, he's got coal. What's he going to do with that? Ooh, so the, the excitement's there. Tony actually sits there and talks to himself like this at the table, and it's really annoying. We're all just sitting there staring at it. Ooh, you got a lot of wheat. You're going to sell that wheat? Ooh, what you going What you going to do with that over there? You know that? Ooh. <laughs> I'm trying to get in their minds. I'm trying to play with them. So f- first off, on the last episode, I mentioned the fact that, um, you know, Rob challenged me about doing rules. And he says, have you ever written a rule book? And I said, well, no, da, da, da. And I, then we went into about flow charts. So to teach this game, I drop on the table a flow chart for how to play Raccoon Tycoon, which by the way, if it's approved by BGG, you should see it out there. If you go over to Raccoon Tycoon, you should be able to get a copy of my tremendous, incredibly awesome flow chart. Dude, I was totally totally impressed by this. So when we sat down and handed out the flow charts, and it's an intricate flow chart. And he said, I'm going to teach the game using this flowchart. And so the game has several actions that you can take on your turn. And Tony very well split out the flowchart. Basically, are you going to do this action? No, go down to the next one. You're going to do this action? No, go down to the next one. You're going to do this action? I think I'll do this one. Yes? Then follow along. You just went right across the page and it told you exactly what to do. And it worked so well 
as a teaching mechanism. Tony, you never had to open the rule book because you've done all the research. You had it in the flow chart and the entire game, all of us were referencing that flow chart. Flow chart. And in fact, when we got to a point and go, I, what should I do here? And you go, reference the flow chart. And he, you were also doing this too to make sure you had the flow chart right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we even you even took some notes. Oh, I need to change this here, change this there. But it worked really, really well. It did, but I did screw up a rule. <laughs> Which one? The missions. I referenced the video and you've got these mission cards and I know we're jumping ahead, but it's it's along with the story where you hand out two mission cards and so I'm handing them out and y'all go, well, how many do we keep? And I go, I think two, if I remember from the video correctly, well, you've got the rules for the mission card. It wasn't part of the rule book and you, and you're reading it. You're reading the rules to how to use the mission cards and you thought it was a mission card. (laughs) I thought it was like at any time during the game. Play this card and everybody draw an additional mission card and pick one to keep. No, that was the rules for the mission cards. Everybody gets two at the beginning of the game and you just keep one. Regardless, it it didn't really change how much I enjoyed the game. So the mission cards are basically secret objectives, right? Everybody has a secret objective and at the end of the game you reveal it. And if you if you make it, you you score points based on that, which which is what that was. But Tony, why don't why don't you walk us through what some of the what this game is and some of the actions you can take on your turn? Because there's multiple things you could do. It's all about collecting commodities and buying some railroads, man. That's it, or towns, or building tiles to help you. So on your turn, you have the ability to either produce some resources to gather some resources. So you have three cards in your hand that have on the top, the commodities who will increase in their price when you play this card and on the bottom, the resources you can collect. Now on your turn, you can only collect three of those resources unless you have a building that allows you to collect more than three on your turn. You play that card, you're producing, collecting resources. So you collect those resources and you increase the price of the commodities on the card. Now these commodities may not match the ones on the bottom. Some will, but some won't because there's only six commodities in the game. Very simple. Draw a new production card. There you go. That's how you're going to start building your your economics or your your resources to later gather money. And it's all about money in this game. It's, it's collecting money. One of the ways you can do that is on your turn, you can decide, I'm going to sell one of my commodities. So you you choose a certain a number of commodity from your pool, iron, wood, wheat, wine, etc., whatever you want. And you'll sell a certain number of units based on the current price on the board. And then the price will drop based on the number of units sold, making it cheaper for the next person. That's one thing that you can do. And that's how you collect your money that you're going to use for other actions. Now, there's something I want to address here because we're, we're selling. So we're gathering money. Some people hate paper money. And I'll be honest with you. That was the first thing I complained about this game is it's nice paper money. It's not like flimsy paper. It's pretty durable, but still I whined about it. But there's a reason for it. Yep. Because money is secret. And if you had a bunch of stacks of coins and things like that, it's not as easy as taking those paper bills, fanning them out under the table to count them real quick versus Mm -hmm. a bunch of little tokens that you need to do. To me, it worked and it is very durable. I agree. And I whined. And at the end, I was totally on board. It's like, I understand because I assumed at the beginning of the game that money was open knowledge. We double check the rule book. No, money is not open knowledge. It, it is a secret. And if you had your typical cardboard chits or coins, even if they were single sided, you'd be constantly flipping them up and look at them to count your money or you would need them behind the screen 
Well, no, the paper money works well because like you said, Tony, you just have all your bills kind of in one stack and then off to the side, you can kind of thumb through and see how much money you got because that's very important because one of the things you're going to do on your turn is bid for railroads. And nothing is more intimidating than seeing that fat stack sitting over there on the table with that one. Yep. See all that one sitting there? How much more? What's underneath that? Is it a whole bunch of ones? Is it some fives? Does he have some twenties over there? Yes, I would say that at the table too. Thank you. <laughs> Out loud. I was irritating, but you're right. Here's where set collection comes in. There are a number of railroads in the game, depending on the number of players. Railroad cards. Railroad cards. Thank you. Railroad cards. Yep. And this is where some people may say, ah, I don't really care about dogs dressed in suits or cats dressed in dresses or t- raccoons dressed as hobos or whatever. I, what? Either way, they're, they're dressed up. This is a Victorian age style, but they're animals. And they're on these, and they are representing the railroads. And if you collect so many railroads of a certain type then your victory points at the end of the game go up. Mm-hmm. Certain railroads are more expensive. For instance, the raccoons, I think, went up to 25, where the fat cats only went up to maybe 17 or something. Either way, if I collect three of them, three raccoons, then I have get the third victory point set. Not combining them all, just that total number right there that's indicated on the card. And that's an auction mechanic. I'm going to stay at an auction. There's two railroads shown on the board. I'm going to start an auction on one of those railroads. So let's start the bidding, people. And there's some min- there's a minimum price on that railroad, so it must start there. And then a typical auction game, you just start bidding until there's one person left, and that person pays their money and gets the railroad. But Tony, one thing I love. Isn't this this was good? This was good. There are some design decisions that you think, why are they there? And then you play them, you go, that's cool. So let's say I started the bidding. Okay, there's two railroads here. I'm going to start the bidding on this one. And we bid. And let's say I don't get it. My turn's not over. I get to go again. That mechanic made some very interesting turns during the game. Because sometimes, and Tony, you probably did this too. I would start a bid on a railroad I didn't want in order to get somebody else to spend money. And then I came back and bid on the second one, knowing that person had less money to spend next time around. Right. Or even if you did win it at a rock bottom price, you're like, okay, that's okay. I can do it. That's victory points right there. Yep. But yeah, I did that too. Cause I was like, okay, I need to get you people, get your money away from you so that if my railroads that I want to collect come up, I can get them at a rock bottom price as well. But you got to be watching cause Oh, wait, did he just go sell something? Because if he did, then he's got more cash. So how much did he sell that for? On top of that, your railroads go through towns and you can buy town cards. And those are just basic victory point cards that start at two victory points and then you work through and they go to three, four, and five. But if you're able to pair a town with a railroad, then you get additional victory points. So there are additional victory points at the end of the game. You can either buy them with resources. Yeah, it was it was either one type of resource or any number of types. Like, say it was like five wheat or six of anything combined. So it was always less of one uh, particular thing. So you did have two choices. And those weren't, those weren't auctioned for. No. Just on your turn, I'm going to buy them and, and then they're yours. And the last thing that you can buy are city tiles. Now the city tiles are things that will give you abilities on your turn. Tony, I mentioned earlier about selling commodities. When you sell a commodity, commodity, you can only sell of one type. I happened to buy a city tile that said, well, when you sell, you can sell two types. 
And I bought that early in the game. And that was a huge benefit to me because then I was able to generate a lot of money whenever I went and sold. But there's, there's, uh, there's things that increase your hand size. Mm-hmm. You had a really good one. What was your city tile that was just fantastic? Anytime anybody sells coal or iron, I get a dollar for each good sold. And you got that early and generated a ton of cash off that. So it's almost like a little engine building thing that you're using the city tiles for. Yeah, but did you notice in our game, y'all stopped doing that with coal and iron? You stopped, You shied away from selling it? Yeah, because we were sick of giving you money. I know. So it's one of those things. And also some of the tiles, some of the production tiles or building tiles are able to be upgraded. And if you upgrade them, you would like, for instance, you had one that said, um, any, you, you gain your three commodities plus one wheat. So you would always get that plus one wheat. If you had upgraded that, you would have gotten plus two wheat. That's one, another thing you ha- you have to look at. That's another way to increase the amount of commodities that would be produced. Once again, that's one of the things you can do Buy those seeds. Now, as with any commodities, there can be runs and that kind of hit us in our game where we had a run on the railroads. Uh, let's talk about the in-game mechanic okay. and why that's a big deal. Now, you said this rule was updated. Yeah, it was a rule where that if one of the, either the railroads or the town cards are void, then you finish the round and the game is over. So if all the railroads are sold or all the town cards are sold, then the round will end. However, The game will the end. The game will end. I'm sorry, the game yeah. will end. Now they've updated. If Two of the three items are void. In other words, the towns, the railroads, or the building tiles, two out of the three have to be void before the game will end. Mm-hmm. And that is, and Glenn even stated this in the forums, that will stop the runaways. Yes. And I, I can see that. I can see that happening. Well, it happened with us because when the railroads started disappearing, they disappeared quick. Mm-hmm. And and some people were doing it to try to force the game to end because they knew they were in a good position to win the game. So I love the idea. Now, it will make the game go a little bit longer, correct? Because now you've got two things that you have to run out of. But still, I do like this new ruling um, overall. So I think that's really good. Tony, this game blew me away. It is simple to play. Your flow chart is amazing. If I'm serious. I hope it gets posted on BGG soon. We'll post it if it's there because it's a great way to learn the game. Right now, granted, it's it's only February of 2019, but right now it's one of my top games of 2019. Oh, mine too. Uh, like you, I enjoy the commodities games. I wish we got to play more of them, but I'm going to tell you now that you and I know this game, I can see it lasting maybe an hour because, I mean, it's fast. Yep. Even the bidding's fast. The bidding is fast and furious. Well, see, it has actually two of my favorite things in it. I love auction games. And I love commodity games. And this co- combines both because there's nothing more exciting than going to auction with somebody and playing somebody else, running up the price, knowing if I get it, okay. But I also see the big stack of cash he's got in his hand. But you can also see the railroads they got. You know, if they've got two of one type, they really want that third because if they get the third, their victory points jump up a lot. So they're going to drop a lot of cash on it. And I mean, for at miniaturemarket.com, you can pick this game up for $38.49 or $37.49. That's it. Now, I don't know if this includes all the upgraded components with the tokens and everything. I think it does, but still. That's it. This even goes up even higher on my list now if you can get it for under 40 bucks. If you like commodity games, you like bidding games, I highly, 
highly recommend this game. I think the art's cute. I, I think the guy, the animals dressed up as the uh, the Victorian outfits and everything is is cute. The paper money, which I had an issue with, I totally understand why it's that way that way out. No issue with it. Now that they changed the rule that it takes two of the three empty piles to end the game, that even fixed the one little thing that I had an issue with of the game ending almost too quick. You got to love a raccoon with a little boulder hat on his head. Well, of course, of course. You know, that's just too adorable. So yeah, same here, raccoon tycoon. Top game for 2019. Yes, it's February. Imagine that. This one's probably going to find its way to the table a lot. I know Donna's going to enjoy it. She likes commodity games. Easy to teach. Quick to pick up. Great entry-level game. I know that's a term that, you know, hey, everybody's entry-level. But it is. It really, it's a good game. If you know set collection, it's all there. So much fun. That's Raccoon Tycoon from Forbidden Games designer Glenn Drover it is out now. Big two thumbs up from Tony and I. Well, Tony, this is our last episode before the Squirrelies, and you and I have already sent off our nominees and everything that are out. We just got to wait for the accounting firm to come back on during the award show and let us know who won all these awards. And hopefully this accounting firm this time will be better than the last ones where they kept losing the votes <laughs> and being a bunch of shenanigans being called on us. But that's that's all right. These people are just clamoring for these awards because they know the quality of the award they're going to get and how sturdy they are for holding up books. That's absolutely right. And Tony, we've got guests flying in from all over the world, all the way from England, all the way to Australia. We're going to have a whole international group of people here to come and celebrate the Squirrelly Awards with us. And eating a few moon pies, enjoying that. Mm -hmm. I've already asked Sam's to order the case of moose for Rodney. Uh, what else do we need? Well, it's whatever Rob hasn't, Rob Rouse from um, Blue Peg, Pink Peg has not sent us his list of demands yet. Oh, Lord, if Rob and Christine is coming, they're going to have to go by like the ABC store or something. Oh, I think we can handle that. And we still have plenty of mason jars, so we'll be having the refreshments mm -hmm and ready to go for everybody. But big times for us. I'm very excited about this. There may be some surprise winners here. And then I'm mm -hmm. sure there won't be because we, <laughs> we've talked about all the one games in particular. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it's our fourth annual. Fourth annual Squirrelly Award. I know. I can't believe you came up with this four years ago. Amazing. People are, I mean, and the publishers are like, I got to have that. I've got to have that acorn wooden trophy. Well, well anything we just keep telling ourselves that even... <laughs> <laughs> or, or or at Gen Con this year, we'll just hand it to them and they have that stunned look on their faces and we take the picture. It's like, what the heck is this for? Well, I'm going camping. I need kindling for the s'mores. That's right. Oh, oh so we're so excited. Squirrelies are going to be coming up. It's always a fun tradition for us each year. Tony, wow, that was a game-packed episode right there. Tons of games we talked about. And we can't wait for 2019 to keep moving along. Don't want to wish the year away, but Portal's got me doing that. At least their games are spread out throughout the year, so we always have Portal goodness coming to us. And just quick, this just actually came in. It was just announced that the third game in the trilogy... From Emerson Matsuishi, Century, A New World will be coming out of Origins, Tony. Really? First, we had Spice Road. Last year, Eastern Wonders. 
and now a new world, and he's promised a game that's even a little bit more meaty with a few more decisions, but only in 30 to 45 minute play. I we love Emerson's design, so I can't wait to see what he how he extends this century game into something a little more meaty. Does it have dice in it? It does not have dice in it from the one screenshot I see. Well, how can I keep rolling dice and taking names? That was a long one, y'all. Thanks for hanging in there. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Dyson Names. Instagram, Dyson Names. Please like our Facebook page. Please join our BGG Guild 1589 and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll see you in the next episode for the Big Squirrely Awards. Lesson learned, Marty. You really need to open up all the contents of a box before you confuse yourself. Well, you confused me and probably confused a lot of our audience. I'm glad we took time to make sure that uh, we weren't misleading people. No, Grizzled Armistice, it's all there. Unlike me, I'm not. All right, so portal.com slash GM portal game. See, Ignacy, you need to buy me something that makes it easier. Oh my gosh. Now you want him to buy portal.com. I guarantee that one's not available. I know that's not available because of that favorite video game, but we've already covered the commercial because that was back a few minutes ago when we talked about PortalCon. So if you didn't pay attention there, we're not going to rehash it here. Oh, Marty, we forgot one thing. What's that? We didn't mention Robinson. Oh my gosh, dude. How do we forget that? That's the one you're most excited about. Because it, it wasn't on his page. It wasn't on his page. That's right. Oh my gosh. It's the Robinson expansion. That's exactly right. So that's also coming out in 2019. So be sure to check it at portalgames.pl slash en. Thank you. <laughs>